Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 53, the Bernie Sanders strategy issue. Bernie Sanders rally in Philly looks very familiar. Let's discuss the problems with repetitive strategy from Bernie Sanders that leads us back into the Democratic Party. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Delthea. Looks like you are in the queue. Going to go ahead and make you the next caller. So you just have to unmute. Hi, can you hear me? Make sure that I have my volume button on. There we go. Okay, can you hear me now? I always do this. Oh, that's right, because my phone is on silent. <laughs> I can hear you now. Okay. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Um, When it comes to Bernie, okay, I'm going to tell you right now, I was feeling the burn. I felt the burn in 16. I felt the burn in 20. But what I did when I look back on it, and I think this is true of a lot of people, I liked Bernie's policies, and I confused Bernie the person with Bernie's policies. It's something we do in America. We get caught up in the celebrity, and we don't necessarily look at the person. Mm. And Bernie, the person, does not like confrontation. Okay, there's a reason why he got arrested and went to jail um, doing nonviolent protest. Okay, he was never going to join. He was never going to support the Panthers or the Young Lords or the Young Patriots or any of that or the Weathermen. That wasn't him. He did that because he doesn't like confrontation. The problem is the policies that he wants to enact, the policies that I agreed with, and I'm sure you agreed with, um, are not going to get passed without confrontation. That's right. You really have to be, and I don't know if this is actually the best example, but it kind of reminds me of how John Lewis used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh was said you need to get into good trouble mm -hmm. kind of like that like you you really have to be willing to go out there and take the punches and right. you have to be willing to be confronted you can't just sit back and and give up give speeches and just think that because you made this phenomenal speech mm -hmm. that your policies are going to get passed like you really have to be a fighter and the fighters that i've seen have been removed uh dennis kucinich yeah and Cynthia McKinney. So mm -hmm. that, that's a big part of the problem. You can't be timid. And, and speaking of John Lewis, John Lewis spoke in 63 and they were editing his speech right up until he went up to the podium and were threatening him and telling him he wasn't going to speak because the things he was saying were too infuriating. They were going to get people too upset. That's the John, that's the young John Lewis of 63. You know, mm -hmm. fast forward, you get the very accommodating John Lewis. The one that I wasn't all that, I wasn't all that happy with. I had to keep thinking back to that young man who was getting his stuff edited right up until he spoke. Mm. Okay. So, and, and I think a lot of people, that's interesting too, because a lot of people were still seeing that John Lewis yep. in Congress. 
And I'm sitting here going, that's not the same person. That's right. That's not the person who was on the Freedom Rides and got his head bashed in. That's not the same person. But we get caught up in the celebrity. We get caught up in the ideal. We get caught up in the avatar instead of looking at the actual player. Now, don't get me wrong. I go back and I read Bernie's stuff in his senatorial um, website. I still agree with the policies, but I can't agree with the man. Mm. Even Bernie Sanders today, he's not as as radical as he was in the 70s. Oh, no. Not and by I, a long shot. Right. And, and you brought up John Lewis, and that makes me think about something, too. The John Lewis that said, let's get into good trouble. The John mm-hmm. Lewis that was a part of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. that had his speeches edited. Mm-hmm. Would, would that John Lewis have made it into Congress? I think he could have made it, but he wouldn't have stayed. Mm. I mean, we do have we do have one hit wonders. People who do make it for two years and then they're gone. Yep. So I'm not saying he couldn't have made it because he he really had a strong, strong following, a strong reputation from what he had done during the civil rights movement. So he had got in there, but the Democratic Party would have begun immediately, you know, finding a way to um get him out. Let's just say I, I wouldn't have unpacked my beacons truck. Well said, Delthea. I also think, too, if you look at someone like Martin Luther King and like Malcolm X, there was a reason why they were not trying to be politicians. And even till today, I don't think they, mm-hmm. well, I don't know about MLK, but I know for a fact, I don't think Malcolm X would have ever tried to run for office, right? Because he knew how corrupt the system was. Um, MLK was speaking like against capitalism. So for, for those mm-hmm. who don't know, like MLK was basically a socialist. Now they don't teach you yeah. that in school, but that's basically what he, he was. Before MLK was, was murdered, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, he was calling for reparations. He was calling mm-hmm. for a universal basic income, and he was trying to unionize, unite the workers in Alabama. And then yeah. he, he was doing all of that. Uh, um, when you look at King and Malcolm, look at where they are right before they died. And they're damn near standing side by side, if not on top of each other. When you look at them then, not when they were younger, not not the way we've been taught to look at them, but look actually look at where they were standing when they died. These were two very radical brothers, and that's why they couldn't live any longer than they did. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm I think someone like Bernie Sanders, I, I think he knows that. I think he knew that if he would continue to work with his movement after he lost the first time, or uh-huh. after he lost the second time, if he would have continued working with us, like on the outside, right. I think Bernie Sanders knows they would have found a way to push him out. Oh God, there's something he doesn't want known, or something he he saw what happened. And, it, and, it, and it's what happens to people in this country. Every now and then you'll get a right winger who will get shot or scared. But mostly if you move too far to the left, that's when they get you. 
because America doesn't believe that such a thing is too far to the right. That's a good point, because if you if you guys think about it, and I've mentioned this before, that America really is a conservative country. Like it really is. When, when you look at like the principles and beliefs that a lot of people have, it really is a conservative country. But I don't you didn't see them go after the people who move further and further to the right. You didn't see people really go after them like, yeah, you know, they saw Trump as a problem and like, OK, we need to find a way to get him out of office. Mm-hmm. But was Donald was- Trump receiving death threats like Ayanna Presley is? No, no. No, no way. No way in this world. That's not how this works. And, you know, people will throw up and they'll say, well, you know, they they, they shot George Wallace. Okay, let's take race out of George Wallace's thing. Just don't pay attention to he's a racist. He wanted to do a lot for poor white people. Yep. Go back and look at Google back and look at his platform. There's a lot of welfare in there. If you take, if you try to take this country too far, or what they consider too far, I don't, because I'm an anarchist. But that's another, that's another story. If you look at where they want America to be economically, if you just step a little bit out of that, they're gonna come and get you, because they're not mm-hmm. gonna give up any of that. The powers that be are not giving up any money. Not only that, but they're gonna make sure that you're poor to make their money even more money. That's right. That's right. That's what they're going to do. Well, I'm going to let y'all go because I got to go to work an hour early in the morning. Alrighty. Thanks for calling in, Delthea. Thank you. Y'all have a good night. You too. All right. I'm going to bring in Brent here in just a second. Um, one thing I wanted to point out too that was was really interesting to me. It's It's amazing to me how I can watch something the first time. And there's certain parts of the video or the segment or the conversation that I just don't notice. And when I go back and watch it the second or the third time, maybe a couple months or a year or so later, I notice things that I didn't notice the first time. And so I think the difference is this time around, I'm not like, you know, this Bernie bro, you know, fan that I was back then. Back then I was. And to me at that point, Bernie could do no wrong for for the most part, except for the fact that I told you guys like on my show tonight, Bernie Sanders should have had a reparations plan, which he did not have. But other than that, like I was just like a Bernie fan. I was like, yeah, you know, the, the celebrity part, the cult of celebrity. And watching that debate again with him tonight between him and Joe Biden, you know, that's the third time I watched it this week because I was preparing for a tonight show. And it just, it just dawns on me how I didn't even notice that he didn't even try when the Medicare for all discussion came up, he didn't even try to target Joe Biden and say, well, Joe, you take money from big pharma. And that was like, Joe Biden was giving him a layup that he could have just dunked in and he didn't dunk it. It's like Joe Biden gave him a layup and he missed the catch. And to me, it was just like, I felt like he wasn't being as hard on him as he could have. And so the question was, was he really trying to win? So the playbook that Bernie Sanders has established is he says the same rhetoric every time. Rhetoric in 2016, although a little bit more focused on corruption, but 2016 rhetoric, 
2020 rhetoric, same thing. And he's saying the same thing today at, at the rallies and stuff across the country. So his rhetoric don't, it's not really changing. He's giving you the same speeches over and over to energize young people, to energize that base. And then at the end of the day, to tell you to vote for the corporate and greedy politician that he told you to fight against. And that's, it's a, a typical playbook of Bernie Sanders. So I kind of wonder if the Democratic Party had some type of agreement with Bernie Sanders that like, yeah, we'll let you run, but don't start a third party movement. Yeah, we'll let you run, but you can't start any type of outside movement to go against the two party system. Uh, go ahead, Brent, you're on the mic. Hi, so um, I just came back from uh, the Kamala Harris rally and I just wanted to uh, come on here because I'm a little shaken by what happened. So um, basically there were some protesters who were complaining about um, the war in Ukraine, how um, the U.S. is funding uh, billions of dollars to Ukraine and, and how um, the U.S. is corrupt. And what they did was really unbelievable. They had um, these plainclothes people, they came from the crowd and they surround the protester and they had one lady act all nice to them and, and tell them, oh, um, if you're not, if you don't be quiet, oh, we'll let you stay here if you're quiet. And they didn't stay quiet. So what happened was those people were dragged off and were thrown out. And when I left, I, I could hear them um, screaming at the, the protest saying, I told you guys to leave. Why uh, get away from here? And I was like, oh, my God. And then um, mm -hmm. when um, Kamala, she mentioned about um, she tried to rally everybody to, to go vote about abortion. I I shouted in to her and I told her that Obama could have codified Roe v. Wade and Joe Biden could have as well. And you know what happened? The whole crowd started looking at me like it was like a freaking mob. Like and um, it was really scary. And they. The, the same lady told me, you better be quiet. I'll let you say, but you better be quiet. And I, and, and then there was guys waiting um, on the sides, waiting to drag me away. And I just decided um, I'll just go. But it's just really disturbing how um, effective Kamala and these other politicians are at silencing these protests. It's, it's I don't think it made it on TV, but... Um, it's just, it's really unbelievable. She's a fraud. Like, I don't know, I don't know why people like her, but she's a total fraud. And yeah, I just wanted to go on here and rant about that. So <laughs> thank you so much for letting us know, uh, which rally was this? I know you said Kamala Harris. Where was this? Was this in New this York or uh, LA? This was today in, in LA. Okay. So one thing I'll let you guys know too. And I noticed this when I was at the Bernie rally, they have like Brent just said, plain clothes people, the campaign some of those people will be in the crowd and they'll have like people that are like security or whatever, like dressed as like plain clothes uh, people pretending like they're just like one of us in the crowd, uh, basically there. But you know what that means, Brent? That means these protests that are happening at these rallies, that means it's catching on. I could, like, yeah, they, they start like, I kept, I complained a lady. We had a super, Obama could have codified Roe v. Wade. He had a super majority, the house and the Senate. And she said, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but this is not appropriate. I said, and I, I told her, when is it appropriate? She speaks for the people. This, why should she, when are we able to talk to her? And she's, and she's like, this is unbelievable. Like, 
and the way they treated the other protesters who were complaining about the war, it's just unbelievable. And then there's other people complaining about um, abortion. I could literally hear the plainclothes people saying, take that, t- take, um, take that sign away from him. I, I, it's, this is unbelievable. Like, and they're all, we should be about freedom of speech and, and protest. We should be, they should be engaging us, but instead they're just, they have like a script and it's like a mob mentality. They're, people are more interested in the celebrity as the previous uh, uh, talker said, rather than the actual substance. Like That's people were, were, and then when I, I went out, like people were staring at me. It, it, it was, it was really, it was really something like people were staring at me. Like I was some kind of like criminal. It's just, I'm telling you, to, you know what part of this is Brent? Like a lot of fear around the the midterms tomorrow, right? Because these races are incredibly tight. Like I said, like Walker and Warnock were tied last I checked. Uh, Fetterman and Oz, Oz had slightly pulled uh, ahead of of Fetterman. Um, By the way, I don't know if you guys saw the poll, but uh, Breaking Points put up a poll for who's gonna win uh, the Pennsylvania race. And the majority of their viewers said Oz. And so I think, there's a lot of fear. They're trying to fear monger people about the, the midterms race because they know Democrats know that they're prof- they're possibly screwed. When I talked about this the other day, the Republicans are right now predicted to win back the House. And I'm sorry, but this is all the Democratic Party's fault. Like they sat around, they sat on their asses. They made promises to people that they did not fulfill. They're the reason why Roe v. Wade was overturned the Supreme Court, because like you said, Barack Obama could have codified Roe v. Wade into law. If he couldn't have done that because he was afraid of Lieberman, they still had the votes to abolish the filibuster the first two years that he was in office and he chose not to do it. Even Ro Khanna admitted to that. This is all the Democratic Party's fault. And now they want to watch this. Watch, guys, after tomorrow. I'm not kidding, right? After tomorrow, when they lose some of these races, and they will, watch they're going to start pointing fingers and blaming the voters. Stacey Abrams is already blaming black men for the reason why she's losing in the polls. As if Stacey Abrams doesn't have a horrible campaign and just a bougie candidate that is not relatable to a lot of working class people or poor people. And then she's going to point her fingers at black men. It's absolutely disgusting. So you know what? If the Democrats lose tomorrow, this is exactly what they fucking get. Because honestly, like they cannot continue to use like these, like the use the identity politics to hope people will come out just to scare people about the social issues. And then when they have the majority, they don't do the things legislatively that they need to do to make sure that those social issues are protected. Right. Cause they want, I think they want to use um, the issue of abortion rights as a, as a way to get Democrats, uh, Democrat voters out to the polls. Cause if they codified it, they don't. They wouldn't have anything to to get the voters out. Like, what are they going to campaign on if the, if Roe v. Wade was codified? And it's it's kind of and it's really scary. Like, I I've lost faith in the progressive movement a little bit today. Like, see, it's the the mob mentality. It's just it's it's just appalling. Like, I I I I was kicked out of that of that rally, and and people were like looking at me like a criminal. Like. It's just people are just they're too consumed with the the celebrity of Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. and she she knew and, and and I looked at her her face and she knew I was right. Oh, she knows I'm right because she's not dumb. She knows what I was. She didn't like the the guy who was talking about Ukraine. She brushed him off saying that oh they have the 
uh, freedom of speech, blah, 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 blah. But with me, she just tried to um, ignore me because she, but she knew what I was saying was right, but she didn't have an answer. So yeah, because the thing had, is, they can't, um, they can't run on Russia and Ukraine. They can't yeah. run on that. But yeah. they can run on abortion, and they know, right. like the polls show, that's not the number one issue for voters. No, no it's not. It's just, yeah, it's just unbelievable. These, yeah, it's, you, uh, people, they probably think I'm exaggerating, but no, it's, it's, if they go to these rallies, like, a lot of your, your listeners are going to feel out of place because these, a lot of these people, they're consumed with the, um, a black Indian vice president. That's all they, that's all they're, mm-hmm. they're consumed by. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. I'm, I'm that's it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brent. All right, th- all right. Thank you. Yes. I think that, um, I think that when we're going to these rallies, like going forward, you guys, it would be helpful if we had more people, if we had like, instead of like, two or three or four or five people if there was like 30 of us you know and then spread out amongst the crowd um now i gotta give a lot of credit to where credit's due jose uh his team um now they're a part of uh the diane sayer group they have been everywhere like every single one of these rallies they're confronting people united front against displacement also confronted kamala harris about uh the invasion of of or planned invasion of haiti uh, for the United States government, like they've been getting approached at just about almost every one of these rallies I've seen on on Twitter, and they can't stand it because the thing is, is like they know the protesters are right, and they don't want to answer those questions because it makes them look stupid. But my thing is, is like I said, we're gonna cover the midterm elections a little bit tomorrow uh, night. But like I said, if they lose, this is all on them because. How much longer did they think that they could continue to gaslight the American people in the age of technology that we have right now? I mean, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have TikTok. I mean, we have Snapchat, uh, there's Telegram. How long did they think they could get away with this before people wouldn't start to see other sources and realize, wait a minute, they're not telling the truth here. Anytime you can go back to a video on YouTube of Joe Biden saying he wanted to cancel Social Security and Medicare, like this is still public information people can easily seek out, especially younger people who like to use a lot of technology. They're just they're they're fools. They're they're absolute fools. And I think, you know, the mask has really come off because what are they going to use for the excuse this time around? Like if they lose this time, who are they going to blame? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm going to bring in um, Ashura. Looks like you are the next caller. You're on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hey. Greetings, Ashura. How are you feeling about this? Tonight we talked about the Bernie strategy issue, how Bernie Sanders has this playbook that he's used since 2015, basically. And we hear him saying the same rhetoric again at the rally in Philadelphia. Well, as for... Bernie Sanders, it's it, it's a playbook. So there's nothing. It's like a video cassette. You pop a video cassette and you get the same message over and over and over again. Rewind, fast forward, however you want it, you get the same BS. As for um the Democrats losing, I still think maybe they'll lose. They'll lose one side. I I still don't think they'll lose both. 
because there are more people on the uh, Democrat side on on the uh, on the House. And uh, I was watching Jimmy, and he had a video basically titled that the Democrats were waiting to blame black people. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think you should probably should have titled it just to like Democrats are going to blame black men because they can't blame black women because that's the base they're they're coddling to. Black men are the demons. That's they're the ones that they want to force. They want to shame into basically uh, vote the Democrats. That's why you had uh, Tiffany Cross Eyes. I forgot her name was. That's that's how uh, Professor Black Truth calls her, Tiffany Cross Eyes. Because uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I learned it from him when he basically she got canned, and um, she was she was basically demeaning men. But I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if you do that, more men are not going to want to vote Democrat. And they're they're like promoting black women, but they're promoting these liberal black women who basically they're so enamored with the Democrats, but they can't see that the Democrats are just use them as fodder. They're basically a shield, so that they don't get hit with the tomatoes and fruit and vegetables. That's right. Well, you know, um, that's a good point in reference to black men because we were talking about this earlier that Stacey Abrams is still blaming black men for like her poll numbers, and I'm like. <laughs> You think that's going to help them? You blaming them? You think that's going to help them come out and support you? I'm going to tell you what she said. I I actually tweeted this earlier. This is really funny. I was like, this woman has to be, she's got to be losing it. She said, um, I said, Stacey Abrams, she said, unfortunately this year, black men have been a very targeted population for misinformation. So I went on to say Stacey Abrams thinks black men don't understand misinformation about her race. She feels this is why she's losing in the polls. I said Stacey should blame herself for wanting to give more money to cops. Stacey should blame her whack ass campaign. Why didn't you say that to Roland S. Martin? I mean, you you saw the DM I gave you, right? Oh, let me see. Because I don't even I don't follow him at all. Yeah, because cause, cause I uh, sent you a, t- a tweet through your DM. It was Roland Martin going after some black guy because they said they were tired. They're, they're, they're going to basically leave. They're not getting anything from the Democrats. They're leaving the party. And like uh, Roland Martin is like, you know what? Your your dumb ass is, is blocked. Oh, I and see I, it. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I told you like, this guy basically is losing his mind over Massa because Massa, the Democrat Party, may not give him a job. Because Professor Black Truth likes to he likes to tell jokes that Roland, Roland, Roland Martin wants to get a job at MSNBC because the more the more that basically there's an open spot, he thinks he might go back on corporate media. So mm. yeah, because there, there's a way there's a way if you listen to Professor Black Truth, he he mocks Roland, but he makes Roland out to be like the the black porky pig. So Roland Martin doesn't think that the he doesn't think that the Democrats have under delivered when it comes to in reference to the black community. Uh, the way I I used to watch Roland, and the way I, the the way he does it, he does on one hand he shames he critiques the democrats on the other he basically shames the voter into <laughs> you gotta vote democrat you understand wow. that's how he does it and but really he just wants a job back like 
there, there wasn't even a theory, no, not really a theory or rumor going up that uh, it was Roland who gave uh, Brazil those, uh, you know, those questions to Hillary. Okay. Yeah. And rumor is that when he was working at CNN, he basically gave them to her and he, he denied it. Wait, but, for the debates? Yeah. Oh wow! When he was wow. working on CNN, he gave her he, he gave her like sound bites, and they thought those were going to be the questions. And it turns out they didn't come out right. And when Donald Brazil was caught, um, she basically said she admitted that she got the questions, but they never really could pin it on Roland. But people were saying it was Roland that gave it to her, because Roland, you know, there's video of Roland dancing for Hillary. Okay. No, yeah, there's video of Roland dancing for Hillary. But the funny part about the thing about the, uh, what's her name? Donna Brazil thing about George Jenning breaking the story. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Nico House because Nico House saw that shit from a mile and he was saying it. And he is it one of his videos on Rockfin and he's talking about it and he says that he smelled there was something wrong with the with Donna Brazil, and he was in the room with reporters. Jordan Shadow was in the room. He said, quote, there's something wrong with this. This sounds fishy. And everybody, including Jordan Sheridan, said, oh, it was bullshit. There's nothing going there. And next thing you know, Jordan Sheridan cracked the story of Donna Brazil basically with the, you know, the questions about for Hillary. Oh, boy. Yeah, you might want to ask Nico that, because Nico said that live. I'm like, oh, my God. So you're telling me that basically that was Nico's idea? And Jordan fucking took it. Well, that wouldn't be nothing. I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. I'll be nice. Um, <laughs> we, we've been telling you don't be nice. I <laughs> take off the gloves. I, I I don't care if you make it if you break a nail. I mean, there's things that I know, but uh, things that I've I've been told before about people taking work from other people. But um, I, I'll talk to Nico about that and ask him because. Um, that just goes to show you, like we were saying earlier, like the, the system, like it's so rigged, like they already know the candidate that they want to win. They've already picked them out. And then from that moment, all they got to do is they allow obviously other candidates to run right in the democratic yeah, like, party like, because they yeah, got to look Michael legit. Bloomberg. Yeah. yeah. Michael Bloomberg was a, what the fuck? Like he, he came in late in the game because just cause he had oh. money, he, he donated a billion dollars. Well, what I said to people, even at that time, I was like, friends of mine, I said, you guys don't think it's strange that you guys don't have a problem with this at all, that Mike Bloomberg could just donate, like just drop money and just jump into the race last minute. And they were just like, well, you know, that's just how it works. And I'm like, no, don't you guys see the fucking problem? Don't you see the problem with the system that he could just do that? That's telling you right there that money buys it. But I just I felt like it fell upon like deaf ears and and people just wanted Trump out and there was like Trump bad and that was all they were really focused on. That's what I felt like. And I was like, so you guys are willing to overlook the obvious, which is right in front of your face, that people are sitting up here and he's basically just buying his way in. I didn't get it, man. It, I didn't get like it. The, I find like there's a there's a sort of hypocrisy going on at the young Turks right now. You had a, what's his name? Uh, God damn it. Uh, I forgot his name. 
Jinx tends to talk about him. Matt Gates, like he was on the Young Turks. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was talking about that earlier. Um, you know what's happening? Like, the progressive movement is dead. This whole thing with Bernie Sanders and the sellout squad or whatever you want to call them. This whole thing, like, it's it's dead. So it's like some people, in order to keep, like, how are we going to keep the money bag going? If that was, like, your big thing, this is why I think it's bad to focus on one issue. I'm just saying. If that was, like, your big thing and your big push, then it's like, what do you do? You got to move further to the right. So bringing on someone controversial like Matt Gates, I know Jink also tweeted out that he was going to talk to Larry Elder. Larry Elder, the black guy who said that uh, reparations should be paid to the slave owners, not slaves. Like, come on. And you know what killed me was for him to say that, well, uh, this discussion will be with me, Anna, and Nina Turner. Nina Turner, like, why you let them punk you like this, man? So, so you willing to, you're going to say that Jimmy Dore is anti-black, but you have no problem having a discussion with Matt Gates. You have no problem being on a network that's going to bring on Larry Elder's coon ass. And yeah, I said it. You know what I mean? It's just like, and you're just, just sitting there just like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you, what is your point? What's your purpose? If you're just going to go along with the status quo, man. And that's when I said to myself, these people just trying to get paid. They ain't trying to come about no change. They ain't trying to do no type of revolution. They ain't trying to get no movement going. These people just trying to get paid. Yeah, but don't you know Nina's, uh, she's unbossed. <laughs> she's unbossed and she has a boss, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. That's right. And uh, finally, what was my last thought? Uh, God damn it. Yeah, I had, I had something. Um, did, did you see the video? No, no, I think you posted it. What do you think about uh, Richard Wolf going on the Young Turks? And then you got Alec Asparian talking like she doesn't know about like corporate media, independent corporate media that are bought and sold, like the TYT and the, <laughs> the breaking points. Like she was trying to be like, oh, yeah, independent media is great, but. You're corporate independent. You're corporate media. You're not really independent. It's just a fucking mask you wear. Yeah, I mean, Anna Kasparian, like, I, again, I don't know who she's trying to fool, but she knows that TYT isn't what you would call independent per se. They used to be, but they're not. Like, they have sponsors, which they advertise on their show. They took $20 million from Jeffrey Katzenberg. You're not independent. <laughs> I want to... I was wondering how did that how does that twenty million dollar rollout goes? Is it every five years? Every election? I don't know, but I'll tell I'll tell you one thing. Uh, the difference between me and them, people send me emails for sponsorships every day. I say no to all of them. What kind of sponsorship? To sponsor to sponsor like their products or to sponsor like I don't know why video game companies contact me, but they contact me all the time. I think it's because of the age group, um, the viewer but, age group. But you know what specific? specific yeah. Category? So what they want you to do is like you know how like on TYT, Jink will be like, shout out to our sponsor, Strong Coffee or whatever the hell that coffee company was that they were okay. they would sponsor. That's a sponsorship. David Pakman does them a lot. He has sponsorships. So what you do is like you either have to do a shout out about their product or you do like a thirty second ad or something like that, and they pay you and like. Some of them will pay you a lot. You'd be surprised. Like one of them offered to pay me $3,000 a month. I said, are you fucking crazy? (laughs) (laughs) 
for for me to feature a, a video game ad? I said, I don't think so, bro. Because the thing well, is, once you start taking the sponsorships, then it's like your content has to remain suitable for them. Once your content or your narrative goes in a direction that they don't approve of, they'll pull their sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I remember what I wanted to say. Um, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a, how, how the fuck is this race so close? Which race? The race is that's going on right now for tomorrow. Because the Democratic Party hasn't delivered economically. I was like, yo, the, the, there were times people, I saw Kalinsky, I saw all those shit lives making fun of, um, they were making fun of Oz, they were making fun of uh, Elder, and for some reason, they're neck and neck. Mm-hmm. I told people, don't be surprised if, you know, it was interesting to me, Bernie Sanders is campaigning in, in Philadelphia, or not campaigning, excuse me, hosting those rallies in Philadelphia. That's cool and all. For the most much, part, Philadelphia Philadelphia is going to go blue anyway. Why aren't why isn't Bernie Sanders doing rally in the rural areas of Pennsylvania that may be more likely to go towards Dr. Oz? You see, you see the problem that they do. They do this a lot. They go to like the cities where there's a lot of coastal, the coastal academic elites, and they ignore the rural communities. And that's how someone like Trump was able to win because Trump was like, "Look, I'm going to go to the places that I know." The Democrat candidates are not going to go to, and that's how he won the Rust Belt. Yeah, he, he went to war. People, he basically uh, he, he he knew those rich people were going to come to well, not rich, uh, well those well off well off people were going to come to him anyway. He basically uh, he wrote them off. He just went for the right. poor people. He went for the poor people because he basically knew that these other well-off liberals or Republicans they were to go they were they were to come from anyways. They were right. Gonna, they, they were they were, were going to vote Trump, so he needed to boost himself up. But that's a good point to mention is the fact that they already know in the cities the Democrats are most likely going to win anyway, in the coastal cities. So the fact that they ignore the rural towns and the rural communities, I think that's very telling, right? They're trying to to appeal to a certain base of people. And that's what got them in trouble in 2016. But I, I will say this as well, is that I just think <laughs> I think these I, th- I think these mofos just want to lose. Like I'm just being honest. Like I think they want to lose. Just like like Obama, listen, this takes us back to Obama's first, um, his first term. Remember, when Obama first won, he had the House and the Senate. First two yeah. years. Yeah, super majority. And remember, he lost all those seats. Yeah, he didn't do shit. He was the, he tried, he tried to be their friend. And they That's said, funny. man, no, no niggas in the White House. That's right. He wants you to be their <laughs> friends. I'm gonna go hang out with you at the country club. Yeah, that that's the funny part because uh, when he was going out, they 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 asked him a dumb question. Do you feel like you uh you you, you got a little bit of racism felt up? You, they, they, you, you got racism felt punched your way. He's like, yeah, man, I had some racism gone my way, man. Like I'm like, you tried to be their friend. You basically admitted that if. If you were, I don't know, he said something about if he was back in the day, he his positions would be like a moderate Republican. 
Yep. You, you he said that, that in the interview, yeah. Yeah, I was like, what, what, why didn't you run as a, as a Republican then? Because he wouldn't have won as one. And he knows that. He wouldn't have won as one. See, that's the other thing, too. Like, Obama, another one, first two years, he has the House and has the Senate. Did not use that time to abolish the filibuster. So that was that. Then lost uh, seats, right? After those first two years. And then it was, you know, the excuse was going to be, I couldn't get this done because we didn't have the majority. And don't be surprised. I really feel like that's what the Democrats are trying to do right now. So Joe Biden can point back and say in 2024, listen, we couldn't get this done because we didn't have control of the House and the Senate. And people will forget if people aren't are sharp enough, people will forget. Didn't you have the control like the first two years? And some people forgot that under Obama. I watch people sit there and be like, no, he didn't have the troubles. Like, yeah, he did. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they know that midterms, no one gives a fuck. No, they don't come out like that. And that's the other out. thing. I was like, people if, are like. Imagine if Obama really kept his word on his midterms and he gave everybody all they wanted. That would have been the norm for everyone that's like 18 and up, like in the, on the young side. Yep. They would have basically made it like a fucking religion to come out every fucking midterm, just like you have the elderly coming out every midterms. Mm-hmm. They didn't help him out. And I was watching, I was really watching Kit's video, I think it was yesterday or today, and basically say Democrats are laying the ground for Trump. I'm like, is he going to come back? Because I mean, the problem the with other Trump, thing, well, the, the other thing I was going to say too is that they don't, the majority of younger people, and I'm going to say between the ages of 18 to psh, let's shoot it all the way to like 35. Actually, I'm going to shoot it all the way to 40. The majority of people like in that age group, they don't come out to vote in the midterms. Like that's the, it's the, it's one of the lower turnouts. Like most people show up for the presidential election. And when it comes to these other races, most of the time they don't show up like that. So is, is the midterms like uh when you say the midterms, do you mean midterms really in the sense uh, for low, low level positions in government? Like uh, when you say the local level, it's for it's for both. It's for both. Okay. There's uh, Senate Senate races, congressional races uh, on the federal level, and also on the state okay. level. Because it seems to me like the presidential elections are like basically the federal ones. They come out, and since it's the lower the lower ones, the midterms they don't come out. Yeah, I mean, well, people, you know, if you are a a candidate and you're running for U.S. Congress and you're running during a presidential year, you're going to get a good turnout because people are coming out to vote for the president of the United States. If you're running during an off year, which is like when AOC and the rest of the squad, the first group that got in when they ran in 2018, you're not going to get as much of a turnout. And so people don't, some people don't realize like, yes, AOC won, but that was also a low turnout. And um, Lucy was on my show earlier tonight. She's in AOC's district. So she's running as a write-in candidate against AOC. And we were talking about that, that like the turnout is low. Oh, I forgot about that. Like, uh, I remember one time Lucy basically, yeah, they, they switched her, <laughs> they switched her district. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't an AOC, <laughs> she wasn't an AOC constituent, but now she is. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, she's like, I don't want to vote for AOC. 
Well, they do it. Um, they've done it a, a couple of times the past two years where they're just like the New York re, New York. Um, the NYC redistricting is is horrible. And I've heard a lot of like horror stories, but I will say that, like. I think Lucy's doing the right thing, and I think like that was a smart decision, because why are we so focused on like these third party independent candidates, like getting them on the ballot? Like, remember, India Walton's uh, competitor, he was a write in candidate. Byron was a write in candidate and he won. So just do this shit the easy way. Like Lucy said, she said, listen, my name is uh, Lucine Kinnett. I am a write-in candidate. Write my name in. And if you don't want to vote for AOC, <laughs> take the votes away. Like she said, she's not expecting to win, but she's curious to see what the the turnout will be. <laughs> take votes away from those politicians. Like, let's, you know, maybe... I don't know. Be, like, you gotta do something. Hypothetical, you vote Lucy does win. Do you think Lucy will show her face on Twitter knowing that she gives up easily? <laughs> Probably not, but I will say, and I always point to this candidate, and people laugh at this one, but it was a real thing. Uh D's nuts uh actually ran as a writing candidate. And D's nuts, this was a couple years ago, D's nuts actually did <laughs> actually did well that, as a writing candidate. <laughs> isn't that one of one of your subs? D's nuts. Yeah. I, I think there might your... be someone with that name. No, no I think no. there may be someone. Of, I think it's one of your subs. I, I... Yeah, yeah these nuts surprisingly did pretty well. Like, it just, you know, I mean, come on. Like, some people are just like, that's how <laughs> gone. Some people are just like, look, I don't like either one of the two-party candidates, so I'm voting for these nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I find it funny you could repeat that name, but I remember there was another, uh, you had another um, subscriber that used to have a weird name, but you couldn't say it on, uh, on T. You couldn't say it on the YouTube. You know who I'm talking His about? name was Dick Long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> oh, he, every time that you you only said it once, I believe, and you never wanted to say that thing again. I think he, he gave up. <laughs> he used to send like he would send a super chat too to try to get me to say it, and I would say thank you for the super chat, Richard. I am not saying that name. <laughs> Uh, well, Jimmy has one too. There's a guy called Unvaccinated Guy on Jimmy's show. They can't repeat what he, what he says. <laughs> they just say thank you. Uh, oh man. Anyways, anyways, Sabby, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically hang up. All right. Thanks so much, Ashura. Okay, I'm gonna bring in Bad Cookies. What's going on, Bad Cookies? Just gotta unmute. How you doing, Sabby? Hey, how are you? I'm not doing too bad. You were on a roll today. All that shit about fucking Bernie, you had me fucking heated. I was yelling at my screen for half of the night. Um, really? It's, it, this is what happens when I uh, when I go down the rabbit hole of doing research. <laughs> yeah, that shit, man. You really had me going. I was ugh, just looking at that screen and watching them lie to people like that. I was like, man, I wish I fucking met you in real life. I'd slap the shit out of you. That's a... That's irrelevant. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about was uh, what what the outcome is going to be of these elections. Like, uh, I agree with Ashura. I agree that they're going to lose one of the two because it, it's the same pattern every single time. 
they're going to lose either the House or or Congress, and they're going to use that as the the Republicans will use that as an excuse if they get elected in the next presidency as to why they can't get anything done. And then if the Democrats keep control, they'll just say, well, we can't do anything because Republicans have control of everything. They're also going to play off of the fear that's that's bound to be coming because that's all the Democrats do is play off of fear. So they're going to say, well, Trump's already announced his candidacy for 2024. If he gets someone like DeSantis to run with him, that's a strong ticket for the Republican Party. Then you have someone like Kamala Harris running for the Democratic Party. They're, they don't have anyone good to put up on the fucking ticket. So all they're going to do is say, we can't allow Trump to be elected. Mm-hmm. He's going to control three branches of government and he's going to completely destroy democracy. And it's, it's going to be nothing but fear. It's That's fucking, right. it's not real. I don't know. That's my opinion. What do you think of the potential outcome of these elections? Said? It's true. They have been running on like fear mongering for the past couple of years and they're going to continue to do that. You know, I didn't hear this type of fear mongering. I think, you know, when Obama won and I think that's because he was running against John McCain and John McCain is not like Trump. <laughs> like um, John McCain was a little bit more sensible. And I remember he was at a rally one time and someone in the audience stood up and called Barack Obama like uh, uh, she said he's a Muslim and uh, something else. I don't know. It was an older woman. And he took the microphone from her and he said, no, ma'am, don't do that. Don't do that. He, he's a friend of mine. We're not going to use that type of language. You would never see that today. So politically, things have, have really changed. It's become more tribal, right? Um, and it's kept a lot of us distracted, to be honest, because at the end of the day, they're both corporate. <laughs> they both support like corporate interests. They both like support like billionaire funding. Even someone like Bernie Sanders, who complains about billionaires, he still votes along with these same legislation and policies that the Democratic Party wants to pass that billionaires back. So Bernie Sanders isn't really that much of a fighter either. Now, I do commend him for introducing the conversation. I commend him for making me more aware of something like Medicare for All. But when it comes down to it, I have to ask myself who actually fought for it. And Bernie Sanders didn't really at the end of the day, like when it was time to cave, he just he he rolled up his sleeves and he caved. And we watched him do this two election cycles in a row. He's not going to change who he, who he is. Uh, when I talked to Cornell West, he said the same thing. Bernie Sanders is not going to shift differently. He's not going to, you know, change who he is. He's going to go along with the Democratic Party because at the end of the day, he believes that that's the, the better option. So to that, I say to Bernie Sanders, then I feel like then you should change your registration to Democrat instead of independent. And I also feel that if you don't have the spine to fight for those issues you told all of us to like fight for and you said you were starting this political revolution, then maybe you should just retire. Why are you still there at this point? I'm still trying to ask myself, what is the importance of Bernie Sanders at this particular moment if he just goes along with Democrat establishment and corporate entities? I mean, there, there is no purpose of him to be there at this point. So if I mean, if I was Bernie Sanders age, my ass would have retired already. So why is he still there other than to keep people, keep funneling maybe the younger people into the Democratic Party? Because I did talk about this a couple months ago, that the younger people are more likely to embrace socialism because of the economic issues they've had to deal with. I mean, I'm a millennial. Hell, what number of recession is this that I'm on? I mean, this is fucking ridiculous. I had to go through the housing crisis. We had to go through all this shit like 
economically, I haven't seen things really improve. And my parents never had to go through any of this, not in the way that we had. So it's just, it, like I said, Bernie became a millionaire. Bernie got that money. And Bernie became a part of, a part of that club. And for the most part, wealthy people, they protect each other. They support each other and look out for each other's interests. It's working class people that don't support each other. We're the ones that don't. It really is. If you think about it, it's working class people and poor people. We're really the ones that are not united. And that was something that Bernie Sanders, I think, was trying to do. But you you can't, like, get people in this this uproar. And I go to see you at Boston Common, and there's over 10,000 people there. Joe Biden comes up here, and there's, like, 100 people show up. And you really expect me to believe that you didn't have that, the, the numbers and the movement to really do something and start something, and you just walked away from it. And I felt like that was such a cheap shot, and you really let a lot of people down. And I watched him take money from working class people and poor people and then just to walk away from it. Like it didn't even mean nothing. It's just so, it's such a cowardly thing to do. And we don't need a coward. We need a fighter. We need somebody who doesn't care about the pressure from both parties. We need someone who is not going to be bought or paid off. We need someone who is going to hang up on Barack Obama if he calls them and tells them to drop out. That's the type of person that we need. The problem is that type of person won't be allowed to get in. Hey, true that. True that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the uh, eventual outcome is to this. So we'll see how it turns out. But it doesn't look good for the Democrats. Not, not at this point in time. Uh, thanks for your time, Savvy. Have a good night. Thanks, bad cookies. Yeah, so right now it says that the prediction is that Republicans are going to win back the House and the Senate, it says, too close to call. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Scotty. You are on the mic. Evening, Sally. Evening. Good evening. Uh, yeah, I've seen the uh, last bit of your uh, video uh, about Bernie. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I necessarily was not a, a fan of uh, Sanders. I do think it was at least good for him to run to at least raise those issues because it exposed the rot within the Democratic Party to like a new generation of uh of voters. Because let's say he doesn't run, do you ever think that we would find out? You know, who like the, how the DNC operates, and and um, like, and we would find out, like, especially with like the new progressives. Do you think we would find out if Bernie Sanders doesn't run as a candidate? I don't think so. So in that instance, um, I think it was at least he served a purpose in running. And now he is a sheepdog, and I'll, I'll give you that. The thing that I I disagree with so much attention paid on him on the reparations issue is because there was most of the Democratic candidates were not for reparations, like or at least you know, like the only one that was really like stood firm on it was Marianne Williamson and the 
number that she came out with was still incredibly low. Like, like I think that, like, you're for reparations, but you're still supporting imperialist policies. Like, how does that work out? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I think they you they brought that issue up mostly just to get to, uh, to the left of him on any certain issue, and you know after that happened, did they talk about reparations after that? No, like if you remember at the end of that town hall, there was these people that tried to ask Bernie about it, and then the staff took him away. Did anybody else uh, get asked about reparations for that? Well, I don't think so. Well, Go ahead. yeah, that's a really good point, Scotty. Um, I will say the reparations movement continued. It just didn't continue through the political parties. For example, yeah, there was just, um, I don't know if everyone knows this, but. The reparations rally? Yep. Yesterday or the other day in D.C., they had thousands of people showed up. Now that was uh, led by the foundational Black Americans, and Tariq uh, G, aka yep. uh, previously known as Flex. I know. Yep. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't. Yeah, really, like I, I got. But, I gotta be honest with you. Like I don't necessarily really rock with like FBA or ADOS. Like I know too. Like I've followed their history way too long to really. I just kind of side eyed them, and I think that they kind of are grifting off to the whole uh, issue of reparations. Like, to be yeah, quite I've honest with people, you. I've heard people say that, too. I think, I think it's important. So here's the thing I would tell people, right? If you want to understand where it comes from, if you want to understand where the history comes from in reference to reparations, I think you should definitely listen to what those groups have to say in reference to that. Like, I always tell people to follow Yvette Carnell, Cause, and I point to her because she actually did the research, right? Or to follow Dr. Sandy Darity, because again, he also did the research. And for people who are not aware, Marianne Williamson, I interviewed her last, the first time I interviewed her, she was one of the first guests that came on my show when it started. We talked about reparations and Marianne Williamson started working on reparations back in the 90s. People just didn't know about it because she wasn't as popular back then. So she started working on it back in the 90s and she consulted with Dr. Sandy, D Sandy uh, Darity and the ADOS group. And so the numbers that you saw that she had, that's where she got her numbers from. So she didn't, that is the thing. Like she, she did say, I, I should point to that video sometimes to show you guys. I'll bring it up one day on my channel to show you where she got the numbers from. But um, she started working on this like back in the 90s. So I just got to say that for people, because, again, I still don't agree with Marianne Williamson when it comes to foreign policy. I think she's not good on that issue. But when it comes to reparations, I don't want people to think that was just a campaign grift that she had to get black voters. That was something she had been working on for a long time. And I hear what you're saying about the issue that you feel like it could be kind of like a grift and stuff like that. I understand that, too. But I think for people to, if people have no idea about it and they don't understand why people are trying to push it, I think you should at least follow those groups on Twitter or YouTube so you can hear the discussion so you understand where the argument comes from. And I do think that it's important if we want to talk about closing 
the racial wealth gap. And it's not going to be done through canceling student loans. And I'm all for canceling all student loan debt. But these talking points that people like Nina Turner made, which was really disappointing to me, to see Nina Turner, a black woman on CNN, saying canceling student loan debt will close the racial wealth gap. Either Nina Turner didn't do her research or she was flat out lying to people because the majority of African-Americans don't even have student loan debt. So that shit was appalling to me. I'm like, what is she talking about? That is not even true. Ayanna Presley also used that talking point. I'm like, you guys are lying to people because the majority of African-Americans don't go to college. The majority of African-Americans don't have student loan debt. So how the hell is that closing the racial wealth gap? That didn't make any damn sense. But people believed it. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, oh, but go I'll, ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a point taking on Marion Wilson. I, I'm a little bit I'm ambivalent on like uh, Carnell and and she because like again like I'll say this much I'm an older millennial as well so I knew about Nasheed when he was flex like selling like <laughs> like dating advice books to like college age white guys uh, back in the early two thousands what <laughs> yeah all y'all know him as, as Flex? No. Yeah, he, he's he's been around for about like since the mid nineties. As a matter of fact, he his first television appearance was um uh Michael Moore had a, a show called TV Nation. Uh and I think it was on ABC. And he came in as a pimp and basically the joke like he came up asking to uh politicians like he referred to him as hoes and said, like, yeah, I got to give you props uh, for being such a good prostitute for the corporations. Like, literally calling them straight to their faces. <laughs> so I got it. <laughs> I had to give him props for that. I'll send you the link. But, yeah, I, I've, I've known about him when he was flex. And a year later, years later, he comes out as Tariq Nasheed with the Hidden Colors DVDs and shit. Like, and I'm just like, man, damn. I guess the, <laughs> I guess that Griff, uh, you know, ran its course. And then I've known about Yvette Carnell since she was with Boyce Watkins. Like, if you know about him, like, the whole, and it's crazy because she was the leftist on his, uh, on his network, right? She was, she was, she was with him, uh, you know, doing articles, and she was doing really good work. Like she used to go on the Real News Network, and yeah, she also like, yeah. For people who are not aware, on her channel, she like she also criticizes the Democratic Party a lot too. Yeah, she like, like I I was a big fan of her uh, her work. Uh, you go on my Facebook page, and I like always anytime she would come out with like a good article. I always come up with this quote called "A Vet Cornell Bring You the Realness," right? And then, like, the shift happened with like Antonio Moore for me uh, in the whole ADOS thing. And I'm listening to the ADOS thing, and I like I'm getting I'm hearing it like I'm getting the data, like I know about Sandy Darity because like uh, Bamani Jones. Uh, the sports writer had mentioned him years ago, and 
I'm getting like really kind of uncomfortable with the whole like xenophobia approach, right? And I'm just like, like first off, African Americans are like the smallest group of people that would be able to get reparations, right? And so if you're talking about like your beef is like with uh, you know the whole issue of immigration and the third like then you better have a critique for foreign policy and how it like and how these issues come up into where like I understand the whole I understand the whole um, issue with like anti-blackness in certain in certain communities I understand that. But it just it got to a point where it got frustrating to listen to, and then because she was also friends with um, Pascal Robert and Jared Ball, and then she had a falling out with them, and because of the whole ADOS thing, and they felt like like she like like her approach was basically like. Uh, like misdirecting the whole uh, reparations discussion and then you find out about her being on the board with PFIR with like John Tanton the, uh, you, 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 you heard about this John Tanton, the John Tanton network who is that John Tanton was a, a white supremacist uh, he basically what he would do is um he would make these um, these groups uh, like uh, that were basically he would take like progressive issues, but it would like it would like pit them against different communities, right? So like progressives for immigration reform, but it's a front for a white supremacist uh, outlet. What? Yeah. Oh no. Yo. It's yeah. This she actually resigned uh, a little bit, like right when this report had came out, right? Because like, and it's crazy. I got and I have to give, I have to give a disclaimer. Part of it was because like black liberals uh, uh, back in 2020 were worried that they were going to lose to Trump again, and so started like doing their digging and they found out about well she had she had said that she was on this board called progressives for immigration reform but she didn't actually go into detail what it uh, what actually was and then they looked it up and they like yeah like it's a these were front groups for this white supremacist uh, network and and like if you notice like her like she hasn't gotten she hasn't gotten the um the views that she did back in 2020 because it's election year um but yeah like i think they use the anger the legitimate anger of like certain aspects of the black community uh because they you know the we feel like the Democratic Party isn't representing us. They are taking us for granted. Not only just that, they're they're hostile towards our interests. 
And so what do you do? You use the issue of reparations and saying, oh, well, you don't, uh, if you're not for reparations, you don't get our vote, which I think you should hold them accountable, but like, there's a lot more issues that you could hold them to uh, that won't just be simply thrown away after after a Democratic primary, because they could just throw it away just like they did. Like, you know, they, you, the whole issue of the, you know, the economy, um, police brutality, that could have definitely, well, it did defund the police. But mm-hmm. yeah, like, I think, I think what it was, was the whole issue was reparations was used as this sort of, sort of way of saying, like, listen, y'all have used this for so long. And the whole, like, reparations, like, it's a, it's a specific thing, right? You don't do anything specific for us. And so if you're not going to do anything specific for us and piss off part of your constituency, which is a lot of white people, then... <laughs> Then yeah, we're not dealing with you. The problem with that though is that that was easily dismissed by the Democratic Party after Bernie was gone. So. But this is why I think, you know, in, in reference to something like that, if we we look at like a Bernie Sanders, you know, I get what you're saying too that it was only him. No, excuse me, it was only Marianne Williamson who really had like a reparations plan. Um, that I know of. Some people said Tulsi had something similar to that. I'd have to look into that. I'm not sure. Uh, but I will say that something that was interesting to me is that I had pointed out early on at the beginning of that race that Bernie Sanders was going to be one of the last people standing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was right about that. And then it got to the point where it was getting closer and closer towards Joe Biden, which I still think is bullshit that Joe Biden ended up being one of the last uh, candidates. But that's why I said, like, if you're the progressive candidate, yeah, you sh- you should have had that like on your platform. And like Nina Turner told him to put it. She said, you need to have him on the platform. He didn't want to do it. When I interviewed Cornell West, I asked him, why didn't Bernie Sanders have that on his platform? And he said, Bernie, he said, I talked to him about it. Bernie doesn't agree with it. But like I showed people tonight, he had no plop, no problem with agreeing with reparations for his people, though. See, that's the problem. That's because it, Jews are seen as white. Um, it's not necessarily true, but like he's, he was thinking about white Jews and he wouldn't have gotten a lot of pushback for that. When you're talking about doing something specific for black people, uh, that kind of gets a little bit, a little bit ambivalence there. You know, they kind of get a little bit wishy-washy. And it's crazy. It's like, I just wish that that type of fire would have been used for Barack Obama. Mm. Um, because like, I remember during that campaign that he would say like, well, you know, I would want uh, reparations to be based on uh, class or something uh, to that effect that he'd say. Uh, but yeah, like, I think that a lot of people also realize, okay, well, we didn't go to uh, go hard on Obama, so all that energy, we're going to use it, 
against this guy who we know a lot of white liberals like, and so we're going to take a stand on that, which is understandable, but it's just kind of like, well, I mean, it's kind of waste. And by the way, and I'm going to end it here, you said that um, that it's the next Bernie Sanders is going to be Bernie Sanders. It's going to be somebody maybe younger, black, Latino, somebody of color. I got to be honest with you, they've embarrassed the progressives in the house so much that there's like, you know, 2024 is two years away. There's nobody that of significance that can rally people. I mean, they've, mm. they've neutered these people so much that it's like, are you really think that the, uh, anybody's going to get excited about vote for progressive in 2024? Hell no. What about but, 2028? Um, I mean, it depends on what happens in 2024. Um, who's going to get elected? Trump? DeSantis? And <laughs> you think Biden's going to make it to 2024? That depends. But I don't, yeah, I don't see them allowing anybody, any progressive leader to come out. Um, they would have to... <laughs> They would have to be so convincing to do this, uh, to, you know, convince people that they can win like Bernie. But, yeah, I think a lot more pe uh, people are cynical now. But, but mm -hmm. you know, have a good night. Thank you. Thanks so much, Scotty. We could see someone. I just thought about this in reference to 2028. He's not going to do it for 2024. But we could see someone like Rokana try to take that spot. But he, you know, he has a lot of stock. Uh, I don't know. Him and it, he tried to say those, that's his wife's stocks or whatever. That's my wife's family's stocks. Whatever, man. He kind of in the back of, of corporate corporate money, too, just in a different way. Uh, what's going on, John? Uh, not much, Savvy. How are you doing? Doing good. Ah, glad to hear it. Uh, yeah, uh, well... I think tomorrow's probably gonna be pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it's looking I don't think it's looking too good. But in some ways, I think maybe I don't know. I wanted to hear what you thought. Like maybe it could be a blessing in disguise because if you know if the house is gonna flip, like almost almost guaranteed, then you know that's kind of a wrap on on the rest of this presidential term anyway. So you know if they get beat real bad then, you know, at least the, in the chaos, maybe it creates some opportunity for some, you know, like actual, you know, politicians, you know, some for some more grassroots opportunity. Because if the if the Democrats, you know, keep it closer or eke it out, it doesn't create, you know, it it just lets the same people keep control, you know, it just it just lets them keep doing the same thing that they, they've been doing. That's right. That's that's a good point. And I bet you when I, I bet you this. If the Republicans win back the House, you'll start to hear the squad fight back harder again, like they did when Trump was in office, right? Yeah, exactly. But, right. That's, that's the thing. Like, and this is something we were talking about at RBN. Like, it's easy to appear to be a leftist when Republicans are in power. But the question is, how left are you when Democrats are in power? Not very, it would seem. Mm-hmm. 
So, so yeah, so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, because at the end of the day, right, like if, if the if the Republicans take the House, then then who cares if it's a 50-50 Senate or 51-49 in either direction? You're not getting anything done. So, and if anything, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of skepticism, I think, reasonable skepticism that, you know, the Republicans aren't going to be the party of the people all of a sudden. So if they have a majority of the Senate and the House and they can't get anything done, then that's going to not you know, that's going to weaken their position for the, for the, you know, for the presidential election. So I don't know. I think, I think uh, if you're going to lose, why not lose big? <laughs> because uh, the way things are going isn't good. And I think that anything that gives the Democrats a uh, uh, incentive to stay on course is, uh, is, you know, probably not good. This is a good point because basically what's going to happen guys, if the Republicans take back the house, even if they don't win the Senate, it doesn't matter because nothing's going to get on the Democrat side. Nothing's going to get passed in the house. That's even going to make it to the Senate on the Democrat side. So it, it just, I noticed there's been a lot of focus on the Senate races with uh, Warnock and Walker and Fetterman at Oz and not a, a lot of focus on these, uh, the races in the house which, like I said, the polls show right now Republicans are set to take back the House. And so CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, they're all focusing on these Senate races. But I'm like, what good is does that even matter if the Republicans take back the House? Because none of those Democrat, like none of the Democrat legislations are going to even make it to the Senate. So at that point, does it really make a difference if it's if it's Fetterman or see this is the thing that's important I guess just to have them vote against like Republican legislation, right? But I mean Biden's not going to sign any of it anyway. So like you're not even if the Republicans take the Senate they're not going to beat the Democratic filibuster and Biden won't sign any of it into law. So I don't really see what bad the Republicans can do with you know it, you know in that situation you know in the next two years other you know they can just make themselves look bad and the Democrats can get their act together. So I don't know. It's just a, just a thought. That's an, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I think that, um, <clears throat> see, I thought that was going to happen after Trump. Like I thought like, okay, well maybe they'll get it together now. And we were able to, you know, get progressives in, in 2018. That's when the squad, like, you know, they got in, but then again, like they made a lot of ruckus then because Trump was in office. And then, then after that, it just, that momentum just kind of died. So it's like, to me, you know, I feel like there were a lot more things that could have been done that were not done. I think it was foolish and kind of silly for them to cancel some student loan debt and not all of it. It wasn't bold enough. It's not bold enough to make young people come out in large numbers and vote in the midterms. Even the overturn of Roe v. Wade isn't enough to make large amount of young people to come out and vote in the midterms. Historically, they don't come out. Now, if they would have done something like if he would have canceled all student loan debt, those numbers would probably increase. But I'm going to look at the numbers because after tomorrow night, I'm going to look at those numbers and I'm going to look at the demographics because I'm curious to see if the turnout was even slightly higher amongst among younger people because typically younger people don't show out like that, gotcha. whether it's the presidential or the midterms, but it's less of a turnout in the midterms. And if I see that the number uh, is is not higher, then that means that even when it came to something like overturn like Roe v. Wade, again, it wasn't enough to bring young people out. 
Sure, sure. No, that makes, interesting. that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm going to let you go. I just wanted to leave you with uh, one one thing, which is, um, you know, I appreciate you staying independent, but uh, no one would blame you if you took that video game money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if uh, if, you know, you said they might yank it if uh, if you don't fit the narrative. But, you know, at least you got those checks while while you while your interests were aligned, you know, like during that brief little period where you were saying the things they liked. So anyway, I'm just messing with you. Uh, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot for talking with me. Have a good night. Thanks. You too, John. OK, we are going to bring in uh, Roger. Roger is here. You are on the mic. Just have to. Oh, wait a minute. I hit the wrong button. Whoopsie. I invited you to speak, Roger, and I, I meant to hit make next caller, but um, okay, there we go. So you just have to unmute. Oh, I, yeah, I saw the except. I hit it, disappeared. <laughs> I am laughing my ass off of what Scotty had said. I did not realize that that was Tariq Nasheed on the awful truth, uh, Michael Moore's HBO joint back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Because I used to watch that show. That part when he was on there was the most memorable. I was laughing my ass off because what it was. I was like, oh shit, that was Tariq Nasheed. Because, and yeah, he, he did do like dating. It wasn't really dating books he was doing. He was pretty much, you know, like, yo, how to be a player type type of thing. You know, a little, uh, what's his name? The guy, the comedian that did that movie, How to Be a Player. Um, oh, Bill Bellamy? Yes, 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 yes. So it was, it was, <laughs> it was more like that. I mean, you could say it was dating a little something, but whatever the case is. But I'm going back to the awful truth with um, Michael Moore. So, yeah, so what was happening was, um, you know, Michael Moore was in Washington and he was like, uh, oh, these these guys are on the take. So, hey, you know what, what I thought? I get this guy, uh, a pimp. And yeah, I guess his name was Flex. I forgot his name or whatever. And he's just like, well, we'll get this guy. He's yeah, I want you to go in there, pimp, slap these politicians around a little something, something. And I remember Tariq Nasheed going to like... Um, it was mostly political staff. He stepped to some politicians and some guy was just like, you're an embarrassment. And he like walked away or whatever. He's like, yo, man, I'm just trying to get that money, man. I'm trying to get what you guys are getting. What's up? What's up? And then, and then, um, oh my God. he was like, the thing that killed me, he was walking around with some, with some high heels on his, on his finger. And he was just like, uh, so he went to talk to, a donor but you know like it, now in my opinion the donor was the john who was paying for service he wasn't he wasn't the politician so he was just like so you do you do you uh so so one guy he was talking to and the guy thought it was getting kind of tight right and he, oh can you hear me the, the screen went black i think it's just, I your, think screen, it's just your screen roger oh, okay no no i mean every time my screen goes black i'm like oh shoot they don't hear me anymore um <laughs> Cause that's what happened last time. And then what happened was, um, so some guy, some young staffer at the time was getting kind of tight and he was just like, I know you must have an issue with blah, blah, blah. I said, yo man, no, relax, relax, man. We just trying to get that money too, baby. We want some money too. Where can we get the money at? 
So then he went to a, a donor and he said, yo, do you pay, do you uh, pay for tricks? And he's like, oh yeah, no, definitely. We, we donate a lot. He said, that's what I'm talking about. And he broke out the high heels. He said, yeah, baby, take off your low heels and put on your hoe heels, baby. He said, no, I'm not wearing what? that. Come on. To, yeah, I was laughing my ass off. He's like, come on, baby, take off your low heels and put on your hoe heels. Because he's calling the donor um, a, a, a hoe a prostitute which was kind of the wrong thing because he would be the john it would have been more suited if he was talking to the politician who was turning tricks you know what i mean but that was the most memorable episode because every once in a while i didn't make the connection that that was Tariq nasheed until scotty had said it and i said yeah because i remember the smile because he got this like unique smile about him oh my i went to try to find it i couldn't find it i was going to try to send it to you but um, Scotty put it I in was the chat. Rolling. Yeah, oh, Scotty well. put it. Scotty put right, it in well. the chat. Uh, you can. Um, well, I'm driving. I can't. Like, if you can send it to me, that's good. But, uh, yeah, that I was rolling my ass off. I was just like, oh shoot, he was the, he was the guy. So, now check this out. I have a story for you. I, I have a I have an Uber story for you, Sab. That happened last night. Wanna hear it? I need to make you a speaker, Roger. Oh, okay. I'm gonna invite you to speak. Because I know you're gonna be speaking for a while. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't want Andrew to um because Andrew's sitting there and he's probably like, How long is dude going go to Go ahead, speak? go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right, let, let me go ahead and bring Andrew in for a second because I know this is going to be when I, when you say you have a story, I know this is going to be a minute. What what's going on, Andrew? You just have to unmute. Uh oh, Andrew. I don't know. Maybe I may have to make Andrew a speaker because sometimes when people try to unmute, uh invite to speak <laughs> bad cookie said i don't think andrew could wait for the story <laughs> i don't know i don't know andrew i i invited you to speak but um you have to accept it otherwise we're, we're gonna go back to roger's story andrew okay here we go all right roger you just have to unmute. Okay. So, um, you say something first because I got to come to a, I got to come to a parking place. <laughs> I, I thought Andrew was going to speak. <laughs> I worry about people doing this while they're driving. I, I really do. No, I'm but good. I'm, this, I'm saying I'm going to pull over. Okay. This reference here, in, in reference to the Bernie strategy uh, issue, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, he's basically just been using the same playbook over and over again, Roger. Like, how mm -hmm. many election cycles is he going to say, this is the most important election ever, we have to protect our democracy? Same thing. Yeah, he's, he's uh, I think he's beginning to fall asleep as he's speaking. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like he's like, under some type of duress or something like yo do you, you know blink if you need help these, these guys got a gun to your head or what what's going on here 
Right, right. And not only that, but it's just like the moments that he had where he really could have pushed back and he chose not to. Like, those are just things that I didn't notice at the time. But when I go back and watch it now, I'm just like, what? Why didn't I notice that? Why didn't I pick up on that? You know? And um, I kind of... I noticed things. I noticed, like, all of those things that you talked about, I noticed them, but I... um. I was so focused on um, the Medicare for all thing and and rising wages and, you know, like it, it was kind of like one of those things I put in the back of my head. Just like when, for instance, when you found out about AOC did a uh, internship with the, with Ted Kennedy. I knew about that back then, but at that time I was just like, eh, OK, I, you know, I, I, but I was just like so hopped up in the moment that I'd like ignored it. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like one of those things. Yeah. I think that's what it was like for me too, because I just look back on it and I'm like, nah, bruh, he really didn't push back on Joe Biden like he could have. And then you go back and you watch like the Democratic primary debates, going back to when they had like 20 people running, which was ridiculous. So they had to split the night up into two nights. I remember that. Even Mm -hmm. then... He wasn't really going after Joe Biden. Like Kamala Harris went after Joe Biden. Tulsi Gabbard went after Kamala Harris, which rightfully so. A lot of people, you know how many friends I had text me or DM me and tell me that they didn't know that about Kamala Harris. And I was like, you ain't see me write this shit on Facebook all year. Like, (laughs) that's when I knew, like, after that's why I knew, like, I'm going to have to, like, put this on YouTube because I was like, what you hear me saying on on uh, my YouTube show right now, that's mm-hmm. actually, these are the things that I was talking about, but I was talking about it on Facebook. And during the 2020, like, uh, primaries, I was, tell, I was trying to tell people back then about Kamala Harris' record. I tried to tell people about Joe Biden's record. And then it was like nobody, like, apparently caught on to it until Tulsi, like, ripped her apart and mm-hmm. until Kamala called out Joe Biden and until Cory Booker called out Joe Biden about uh, um, the, the the crime bill, and he waited too late to do that. Cory Booker should have did that right out of the gate. And mm-hmm. so then it was all of a sudden people DMing me like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. You were right. I'm like, the fuck you been? I've been writing this shit I'm like, for like, since the primaries. I've been writing essays on freaking Facebook to the point where it got like some people are like, you need to put this on YouTube. this is not the place for this this is not the platform for this and so yeah it's really interesting because now i don't spend uh as much time on facebook like i used to but i found out you know i I think uh people on facebook just wanted to talk about their puppies and shit yeah and they really did not want to hear all that (laughs) (laughs) so check this out last night i picked up a customer right so she told me she works for uh, Citibank. I told her I hate Wall Street banks. So she joked and said, banks make the world go round. You know I had to go in on her. <laughs> I told her I would prefer there be more public banks across the country. She's telling me that not all banks are bad. They donate to charity. I told the charity is a scam. They're just something to boost the profile of those big banks and businesses that are being charitable, philanthropic, NGOs, all of that. Nothing but grift. 
I said, they'll be doing this one good thing over here, but over there, they'll be doing 10 bad things that just makes the good thing that they did irrelevant. To which he said, well, you're just now being cynical. I thought, are you fucking serious? Mm. I was like, I did my research. Banks don't operate out of the goodness of their own heart. They do so-called charity, charitable contributions to sweeten up their image and profile. They all got bailed out during 2008 subprime mortgage crash. She said, well, that's not true because Bear Stearns went under, so did Lehman Brothers, so not all of them were bailed out. I said, yeah, but Main Street didn't get a bailout, neither did Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, so we got stuck. She told me she lost her 401k when she was working with one of them. I said, well, 401k should have never existed. She said, why? Wouldn't you be leaving people with no retirement? I said, no, just go back to the old system. She said, you mean pensions? I said, yes. She said, well, what happens when the company goes under? Then you lose your pension, to which I said the federal agency called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation insures and guarantees private sector workers pensions when they when those companies go under. Then she came with the scary tax argument. Uh oh, I was ready for with, with I was ready for that. I said, well, because she said, uh, well, tax dollars, that would mean that would have to undergird that you would have to, uh, you know, like it'd be your taxes, you know, like doing that, doing that tax tax argument. Like, are you willing to have your taxes pay for it? You know, one of them type of things. But then I said, Matt, I said, I have no problem. That would be taxes well spent. But I said, matter of fact, it's not tax dollars that's that are spent. Congress does not pay for things with taxes. It legislates money into existence. That's what they do all the time, but lead everyone into believing that it is federal taxes that does. Due to the fact that Congress is a currency issuer, it, it is states and local governments that use, uses taxes to pay for what they need. But where Congress is concerned, they don't pay for things with taxes. They legislate the money into existence to pay for it. They do it all the time. This is a regular practice. So then, you're, so then she said, well, you're talking about printing money. That causes inflation. I said, no, corporate greed causes inflation because corporate uses the excuse of inflation to price gouge. If they only raise prices to meet the inflationary rate, then that means they would not be making record profits, but they do be they do because they go beyond the inflationary rate into price gouging territory while using inflation as an excuse. For instance, the 7-Eleven at JFK Airport sold the five for five chicken wings for a dollar each. I was expecting with the inflationary rate for it to be anywhere between six to seven dollars, but then them bastards tried to charge me nine dollars. <laughs> there is no way in the world you are going to tell me that the inflation rate went up by four dollars no, when it really went up by two. They're just pocketing the rest. Yes. yes. You know. can, I, can I jump in just for a second, Roger, and say something? You know, I uh -huh. paid seven dollars for a loaf of bread. Oof. I'm not kidding. Seven dollars for a loaf of bread. What type of bread is that? Super bread? No, it's just regular multi-grain bread, which I would used to get. Like it just, it just, uh, all of this is is because of inflation. I disagree. Like it, you yep. I was, you know, I was telling. I was just like, was, we complained because the attorney general Letitia James said, if you have any reports of what you suspect price gouging, report it. I came back like a day later. That thing was 
the chicken wings was seven dollars. So, so just like, well, you know, so she was just like, well, you know, people are going to price gouge all the time, but not everyone price gouges. And she said something about milk costing more, but she said, that's just capitalism. That's what it is due to the fact that people have to raise their prices when others, others raise their prices. I said, sure, I have no problem with that. My issue is when they go beyond the inflationary rate into price gouging territory, using inflation as an excuse to profit. You and should not be you making Putin's more. fault. Sorry, Biden's go ahead. Fault. Go ahead. Oh, oh, nothing. Yeah. I was well, just saying, yeah. tell you it's Putin's fault or Biden's fault. Hey, thanks for inviting me up. I was fixing my sink and my hands were super grimy, so I couldn't unmute. <laughs> He's doing the, um, what do you call that guy? The, the Elon Musk let, let it sink in, whatever the case is. So, what? oh dear, oh dear. I don't, I don't know what Roger's talking about, but I'm glad uh, it's working for you, Andrew. I was worried. I was like, maybe it's not letting him unmute. It has been so, weird for me lately. Like, I don't know why sometimes I'll call in and I won't see myself in the call queue. And then sometimes if I do see myself and someone answers, like brings me up to call on the, as the caller, there's just no mute button at all. But yeah, no, right now it's doing okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, that's um, good. I was, I had a, just a quick thought on what you were saying, Roger and Sabby about yeah. um, inflation. Like, it's funny to me. Um, I've been living in Mexico for almost a year and that's given me about three months before. And then all of the time after the invasion of Ukraine and seeing the different prices that change a little bit. Um, the price of gas is exactly the same in Mexico as it was before the invasion because Pemex has been renationalized and it's oh. able to, if, if there is a change in the marginal cost of Pemex, um, to produce the gas, they're eating that cost. Whereas it, I think it's pretty clear in the United States, there's been zero uh, change in the marginal cost of producing gas, but their price gouging. And like you said, Roger, mm-hmm. Exxon just made record quarterly profits. Mm-hmm. I think 20 billion, mm-hmm. 20 billion for Exxon this quarter and 12 billion for Chevron this quarter, which puts them almost in the same uh, echelon as Apple, which I think is the most profitable company in the country. And then there's other, there's other things like food. Uh, but when mm-hmm. I say food, I mean like the processed food where there's the same exact thing in the U S that's, you know, one and a half to maybe three times as expensive, even before the, the, the war broke out really heavily with Russia in, invading. But it's like, for sure, I, I think what you're saying is like very true, Roger. But I would just say like when the gas rises, um, that makes everything else more expensive. Um, and there's just no way a private company is not going to pass that on to you. Like I just went and paid my internet bill a couple days ago too. And it's like uh, two, 275 for the internet and then another 44 for the VAT, the value added tax. So it's like, I'm, I guarantee you the tax they're being charged is at most 44 pesos rather than they're, they're only passing on 44 to me out of 90. There's just no chance that that's happening. So I think with something like energy, um, I, I'm I'm sure we're probably already on the same page that should be nationalized, but it's just like having a really clear contrast for me has been kind of nice (laughs) when people are like, uh, telling me that it's Biden's fault specifically or Putin's fault, fault specifically, depending which the fault they're a part of. Yeah. 
Anyway, yeah. uh, I had other thoughts about Bernie's well, strategy, but I didn't want to entirely derail of the yeah. the inflation talk. Oh, okay. Well, quick question, Andrew. Um, when was the last time you were in the U.S.? December twenty twenty one. December nineteenth. I left. Oh, okay. All right. So you haven't been here at all this year, then? Okay. I was just curious. Um, but I'll, go ahead, Roger. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just saying. You know. So you know, I was like you should not be making more than the inflationary rate. And, you know, I told her, I said, if you do, then that's just price gouging. So then I noticed she got quiet. I guess she was thinking of a comeback. I turned around and her arms were folded and she was looking tight. <laughs> so, you know what the folding of the arms means, right? I mean, you hit them in a tender spot and, and they feel invulnerable her beloved Citibank or Wall Street banking agency. It's a sign of being uh, defensive. Yeah. Yeah. So I I said, okay, Raj, no need to go any further. You got it. You're giving us something to think about, you know, when when I drop her off at that hotel. So I just changed the subject and I, you know, I was talking to her. I found out she was from Cuba. So I said to myself, okay, so that explains a lot of things. So what was funny was after I took her luggage out the truck, she thanked me for the conversation. I guess I gave her something to think about, but then the last minute she couldn't help but to slip in one last Hail Mary pass and say, but not all banks are bad though. I said, I agree, which is why I love and always say we need more public banks. She was like, hey, wait a minute. That's not what I meant. I was like, have a nice day, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. You know, like I said, like the price of everything is like, ridiculously high eggs um i don't know if you guys drink milk i don't drink milk but i have seen the prices of of milk but things like milk eggs meat uh apparently like what they're charging right now like i said if you want to become a if you've been thinking about becoming a vegetarian now might be a good time (laughs) (laughs) just letting you know um and and even like some of the vegan products too like i told you guys this before i was vegan for like a year well I, well, I would say part-time vegan, if that's a thing. I did this thing called Vegan Before Six. I didn't expect it to last that long, but it just became like a lifestyle thing instead of like, a, let's try this dietary thing. And we basically, like my husband and I, we did it for like a year and we were really good at it. Um, but eventually we went away from it because, you know, it's really not for me. It, it's not for everyone. I, I, I do want to add that. Like some people veganism may not work for you and what i mean by that is like for me like it i found it gave me a lot of energy but almost too much energy so i had problems sleeping that was a big thing that i noticed um the protein issue wasn't a problem because like i used to eat like peanut butter sandwiches like or i had like beans or tofu or something like so i found a way to like fix the protein issue but the biggest problem i had was it gave me too much energy and i had trouble sleeping so that was a big one um, for me, I would say. But, but in I'd be hungry. Well, you, but listen, Roger, you think so? You think you would be? But if you're using other types of protein, like nuts and beans, and peanut butter was a big one. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. A uh, tofu. Like if you use other types, even like portobello mushrooms. So like maybe instead of like having a steak, you have like a giant portobello mushroom 
and you can still cook it the same way and you can stuff it with other things as well. The hardest part about being vegan was cheese because I didn't realize just how many, I guess how many dishes that I liked that had cheese until I switched over because that meant I couldn't have lasagna, like uh, pizza, <laughs> like, and I tried vegan pizza and it was not good. I will not go back down that road. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when it comes to um, changing up foods a little, like I found out a few years ago, I have celiacs, so I can't really eat gluten and things. I mean, I do, but it fucks me up. I really need to stop. But I also, I've been lactose intolerant longer than that. And out of the, out of the two, I think people have done a way better job at making bread without wheat than they have making cheese without dairy. Like yeah. <laughs> the, the cheese game is weak, but actually crazy story. I worked in this. It's quick. I promise. I worked in this hardware store for a couple of years in Seattle and like two doors down was this vegan cafe uh, or like lunch place kind of. And, um, hadn't gone in there until one day I saw fucking Stevie wonder sitting in the restaurant and I was like, Holy shit, what the hell? So I, <laughs> I like walked in and I was like, is that really Stevie wonder? And I was like, Ooh, uh, yeah. I don't know why he didn't say hello or anything to me. No, but <laughs> I went back and I told this woman, Deborah, cause I figured like, I didn't want to crowd him with a bunch of people. And I was like, okay, Deborah's loved Stevie wonder since she was probably like 12. So I'm going to tell her to go in there instead of me. But um, after that, I went and tried the restaurant, and they actually had a really good mac and cheese. And I don't remember – I think they used um, nutritional yeast as the base of their fake cheese. That was actually pretty good, but it's like melted cheese, right? It's already it's supposed to be melted, so I didn't I – don't, I don't think there's – I've ever seen any like kind of hard cheese that you just put in the fridge that's made out of – out of like cashews or anything else that's very good. I've tried, I've tried a bunch of them, and none of them have really done it for me. There's a place in Atlanta that uh, my friends told me next time I go to Atlanta, I should try. And it's called Slutty Vegan. I've actually seen yeah. her um, on TV too a couple times. Like I heard like her vegan food is to die for. But you got to have, you know, it, it has to be made right. Like you have to, you have to make, I don't know, because she has like vegan, like the vegan burgers. You have to make it still like savory, right? Like you have to find a way to to supplement that. And then you also have to be careful too, because something I noticed too, some of the vegan foods have a lot of sodium. Yes. So if mm -hmm. you don't want a lot of sodium in your diet, or if you have high blood pressure, you have to be careful about that because you don't know. Sometimes they'll use more salt, more sodium to yep. supplement that taste. So you have to be careful with that. I kinda, Man, stay I, away from soybean, tofu and all that stuff. Why does it have a lot of sodium? Yeah. Mm, no, damn. soybean and anything that's soybean-based, like tofu or whatever thing that got soy in it, kills testosterone and builds estrogen. <gasps> oh, you yeah, got to worry about that, that Sabby. Sabby, well, you no, could. You could still, you could still put much... your hormones out of balance. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, they always used to I don't know that like soy milk was good for women. That makes sense now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. See, Sabby, you can have your soy, but I, I'm not. I'm not messing with soy. I'll, I'll do. Uh, I gotta say though, like rice or oats. 
I know if you have l- low testosterone, you, that's supposed to, as like as a as a man that's supposed to make you like more tired. But I never really noticed that so much, and I've been eating like a lot of tofu for a while, like twenty. 20- 18, 2019, I was eating mostly vegan, and I was just cooking up a lot of stir-fry for myself. But what I noticed is uh, I didn't get any kind of titties or anything until I stopped riding my bike as much and just got a little bit fat. So I don't think it had anything to do with the soil. I think I just got a little bit lazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say mix it up, right? Like what you were saying earlier, Sabby, like mixing in different sources of protein, like a little tofu here and there, some, like, tree nuts elsewhere if you can do it and um other types of beans whatever that's really good it just in general mixing up your diet to have a bigger variety is super good for you um you're going to get more like variety of trace minimal minerals and getting your even if it's the same vitamin from a different plant or fruit or meat or something is also really really good for you so yeah i would just say don't don't get too stuck in an, into a really really um like simplified routine too much yeah it's really easy especially like i would say the first month it's really easy to eat the same thing every day like if if you're trying to be vegan and that's where it can become boring and bland and that's where a lot of people will tap out so you want to be careful like not to not to have the same thing for lunch every day the same thing for breakfast every day because then you're not like you know like enjoying like your food so that's a easy mistake that people can make but I think now, like, there are more vegan options available. Like, there are more, like, vegan restaurants, like, as well, especially here, like, in Boston. Like, we have more, like, vegetarian and vegan restaurants and stuff like that that have learned how to make it really well. But um, whatever you do, just don't become that person that is eating beans every day. Because, like... <laughs> yeah, you're going to get tired of eating beans, not tired of being vegan. No one's going to want to be around you. <laughs> also that... Yeah, that's a good point. I want to make sure I bring in uh, Scotty as well. Scotty, you're on the the mic. Oh, Roger, were you finished with your story? Yep, yep, that was it. Okay, we got Scotty too, and then I'm going to pivot back to Andrew because I know Andrew wanted uh, to say something as well. Yo, so I usually call back in, but uh, apparently Nick Brana thought it was a good idea that that he's going to get on the... um, interrupting politician thing and so he interrupted bernie sanders at the speech and he started yelling at him about um <laughs> about voting uh for uh, funding for nazis in ukraine and first off fuck him uh, uh for obvious reasons but bernie sanders went up to nick and said that he was being a paid agent. <laughs> oh, I, man. oh man, it's just who do you is that? Kinda... Is that what's on Twitter right now? I think people tag me in this. Yeah, Who's Jimmy the... Dore shared it. Like I, <laughs> oh man. It... <laughs> Well, maybe Jeez, that's, if it um, didn't come from... As long as he didn't tell him to take off his low heels and put on his whole heels. Mm. <laughs> Yo, uh, I, I didn't see the uh, your full episode tonight. I don't know if... Uh, and I'm a, 
get a little bit uh touchy area uh, here. Um, uh, Kyrie Irving uh, about the whole contra- quote unquote controversy. First off, um, I don't think Kyrie Irving's that necessarily bright. Like I, I think he kind of has like sort of the same issue. You know, people try to. You know, they try to read different things like either YouTube or it come from you know, a lot. Like a lot of black communities have like areas where like Hebrew Israelites or the uh, the uh, the black bookstore, um, and he leaves certain things about like you know uh, you know, like the whole thing with the Hebrews to, uh, to the Negroes the uh, Hebrews DVD oh like the black Israelites yeah yeah um and it's crazy because I don't think he is anti-Semitic I think he, I grew up with, <clears throat> I grew up like I'm from Columbus Ohio but we have you know areas of Columbus, uh, Columbus Ohio where you know, certain people believe that stuff, but, um, but yeah, I don't think he thinks that what he did, uh, did by sharing it, which it wasn't a big deal. Like we share stuff all the time. Uh, I mean that like that tweet didn't even say anything. he just shared the link. <clears throat> and I've like, and uh, from I've heard about the movie from people who've actually watched it. You can obviously tell he did not watch the documentary. He didn't. First off, from what I hear, the documentary, the first 25 minutes are advertisements of other documentaries that the person was doing. And and then, like, in the beginning of it, it starts with, like, a quote from, like, Henry uh, Ford, uh, something that better. Like oh, you boy. could tell he obviously yeah, like you could tell he obviously didn't watch it. But I'm disturbed by the 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 reaction that the NBA did by like bringing in the the ADL and then his owner publicly castigating him and the media surrounding him trying to like get him to apologize like do you understand uh, why what you shared may have hurt people? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what is this? This is like, this is outrageous. And then, can like, we have like a boycott forward campaign before we just start kicking Kyrie Irving <laughs> out of the NBA and taking his his Nike sponsorships away? I mean, like, we're cool with still still having Ford on the market when Henry Ford was literally like a a homie of Hitler and the Ford company produced a ton of machinery for the Nazis all the way through the war, not just like, um, before. And then they cut it off when they're like, Oh, this is unsavory. They did it. The whole and, time. I just and want to add Jeff to... Bezos hosted the fucking documentary on like the website hosted it on like, it, it, like on Amazon, like, well, there's, like, a, there's a couple of a couple of things too. I think that's important to note that people got to understand. Whether you agree with Kyrie Irving or not, I, I think it's important we understand that they're trying to make an example out of Kyrie. Yeah, and I say yeah. that because 
where was where was this same type of animosity from the NFL in reference to Brett Favre? Okay, so yep. which which player stole money from a state, stole welfare money from a state? Brett Favre did that. And by the way, not that many people talked about it. I talked about it twice. I noticed even in independent media, not that not that many people covered that story, but they're covering this story. And then here you have Brett Favre, who basically stole millions of dollars from the state of Mississippi, the same Mississippi from the poorest that right people now, in the state of Mississippi. Exactly. From the poorest people. And the leadership is just like, well, we don't know how it happened or how it got through. They know how it happened, how it got through. Has anybody demanded that Brett Favre apologize? (laughs) Have they demanded that he give them their money back? No, he hasn't. So they're trying to make an example out of Kyrie Irving. And the reason why I say that is because you have to remember, people already considered Kyrie to be a conspiracy theorist years ago to begin with. Because he was also one of the people that didn't want to take the vaccine. He was also one of the people that they called one of the flat earthers that he was saying the earth is flat or whatever. So he was an easy target for them. Easy target. He had already been on their radar. But the thing is, is like the level of outrage that I see from people on Twitter in reference to Tyree for sharing a link and the silence that I saw from those same people in reference to Brett Favre stealing state funds from poor people in Mississippi, which by the way, Jackson, Mississippi still has dirty water. It is, it is hilarious to me. So they're trying to make an example out of him and it, they're trying to send a message. And what's really sad is to see people like Shaq and to see people like Charles Barkley and LeBron James. But I told you guys, LeBron James will only stand for an issue for 15 minutes and then walk it back when he gets pressure. All of these yeah, athletes so Mary that... Rice told y'all about him. <laughs> yeah, like even athletes that played with Kyrie that were cool with him. How come they don't have his back? How come they're not even trying? What did they do? Even Stephen A. They're they're all just corrupt. They're gonna say they're gonna speak against Kyrie because that holds their job, that holds their spot, that holds their commentator position. If they come out in support of Kyrie Irving, their job is gone. Their job is done. That's the thing. So it's all about their bag. So they're willing to sell Kyrie out. You would think they would be in support of him. They're willing to sell him out just so they can get their bag. Barkley shouldn't have surprised you, though. Yeah, but, (laughs) yeah, then again, like, these are the same guys. It was was so easy for them to take a phone call for Obama to stop their strike. Because, remember, uh, that whole issue started from the Milwaukee Bucks. That was an yep. issue. That was something that they wanted to do, but because it was in their hometown. And then what happened? Um, uh, I think LeBron was upset because they because uh, they figured, well, that was something <coughs> that they were supposed to do together. Why did you guys <coughs> take it upon yourself to to do that? And then. Chris Paul made the phone call to Barack Obama. And and that's like, okay, what should we do? And I think that they just, they used Obama as a way of getting out of doing it. I don't think that, I, I don't think that the entire league wanted to do that. I think that that was a spur of the moment thing that the Milwaukee Bucks did in response to Jacob Blake and Doc Rivers, like, 
uh, have an emotional response uh, the, the day before. But, like, there's this political cartoon that just came out today. And I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it has what looks like uh, Kyrie Irving getting lynched from uh, a basketball hoop with uh, Adam Silver with a whip uh, uh, in the background and the NBA players in front of him and uh, with their head down silent and the logo, uh, the NBA logo says, neutered black athletes. And... (laughs) Yeah, like it, it's. I have to share it with you, but yeah, that's a pretty brutal assessment of it. <coughs> I would just say, like, uh, you have. Um, it's like one part the same story as all these NAFO fucks and liberals coming after Brianna for her paycheck, and it's another part uh, deplatforming Alex Jones because he's an e- easy target, like we were just pointing out, like for. It's so much easier. There's so much less to risk to go after Kyrie than there is to go after Brett Favre, who, by the way, actually hurt people instead of just maybe has a kind of stupid opinion, mm-hmm. um, which is mm-hmm. like that's really the most you could accuse Kyrie of. Um, and it's but really it is to continue the precedent of, you know, removing WikiLeaks funding, removing um, the Canadian truckers protest funding deplatforming Alex Jones trying to get Brianna Joy Gray's Patreon pulled if you have a if you have a, a a take like Iraq doesn't have WMDs they want to come for your your bank and so they they have an easier time doing that to Kyrie and stoking fervor I also think we should take seriously the the fact that the press um will overcover particular stories to keep people's eye off the ball and I think the classic example of that is in the, I think it was the early 70s, the committee to investigate the FBI broke into an FBI office. Was it, I want to say it was in Massachusetts. Sabby, you might know that one. And that sounds- they stole a bunch of, huh? I said, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they stole all these documents that proved for the first time, I think, definitive proof that COINTELPRO was a thing. So they had a lot of, documents um outlining their strategy to attack the panthers and the american indian movement and that was, that was recorded for one day was it i don't remember exactly but the point yeah, is yeah, like yeah, yeah, that, the, was, that was reported was on well i was gonna say real quick and then i, I actually got to run but it, that was reported on for one day and then the next day they broke the watergate story and reported on that only nonstop for months and months and you know, you never heard anything again about the COINTELPRO, you know, trove of documents. And so I feel like um, I feel like most of it is to set this precedent about we can just remove your your livelihood if we don't like what you say. Uh, but at the same time, I, I can't help but think like there's so much other shit that should be at the center of reporting right now that the U.S. is up to its neck in dangerous nonsense around the world. And they're just not they're just not going to do it. Noam Chomsky said there are worthy victims and non-worthy victims, and black people were never worthy victims. But the Jewish community oh. has been. Yeah. yeah. I, also, I also think that it's sort of a, a backlash to all the quote-unquote 
uh, activism from black athletes. Like, I think that they really wanted to sort of, and like, uh, there was this, uh, the uh, Israeli ambassador said that the NBA is now uh, stomping out eight and they put Kyrie in his place. Those, those, yes. Like, I think that they've really wanted to rip, like, have like a strong example of like essentially castrating the, uh, a black athlete in public and like saying like there's certain lines we're not going to allow you to cross and one of them is police brutality the other one is if you know thinking the wrong things about Jewish people um like there's some Otherwise, uh, uh, <laughs> that they're going to think of to, you know, set a precedent. But, yeah. Oh, by the way, I would say uh, R.A.P. Tame One from Artifacts and uh, Hurricane G, if you uh, heard, you know, yesterday, they died uh, the, the same day yesterday. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Good grief. Um, yeah. Andrew, I, I, I want to make sure I get to your question. Um, I know you had a question about the Bernie strategy uh, issue. Just want to make sure you get a chance to. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Just super duper quickly. I would say, um, you know, the, the, there's so many strategic things Bernie did that were a total mistake or kind of willing blunder, you know, not, not pushing against the, obvious corruption of rigging the 2016 primary, particularly in California, or, you know, conceding to Joe Biden rhetorically in every debate and then also actually conceding to him early. But at the same time, the the actual strategy of the campaign of all the people doing the door knocking and the phone banking and the tabling and, you know, to some extent, um, I think 2016 had a better like overall rhetorical strategy in many ways. That, I think, was really well organized. So that was all I was going to say is, like, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the real, like, focus of resources and attention on the ground game of the campaign instead of the social media and the, um, the messaging, like, as the meat and potatoes of the campaign and instead putting the talking to real people going and, you know, doing real things across the country. And I, I know we've all probably discussed a lot of times um what a shame it was to just shut down that whole apparatus after losing just the democratic primary as if that's the only thing that the all the all of the all of us were really organizing for and i think if you look at other parties that have recently had success in the americas with very similar constitutions and similar electoral systems um, they certainly benefited from social media and the youth are more there than on cable, but that was not the skeleton of their campaign. The skeleton of their campaign was a real fucking campaign. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've, I've talked to people about this before, about the difference between the 2016 campaign and the 2020 campaign. And I think that, I think you're right, Andrew, in the sense that the 2016 campaign had more of a grassroots feel and the 2020 campaign, and this is not to say that 
Bernie was taking like corporate money or, or whatever. But the 2020 campaign to me seemed more commercialized. And what I mean by that was like, all of a sudden, like Bernie's doing a rally with like public enemy. There's like interviews with Cardi B. Like it, it felt, I don't know, man. It didn't feel as, as, as grassroots. Now, granted, I still supported him uh, and I still donated a lot to him in 2020. But I felt like in 2016, maybe it's because he was challenging Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm not going to lie. I forgot the other guy's name. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was another guy. It was him, Hillary, and uh, the guy from Maryland. I forget his name. Oh, well. See, that's bad. I don't remember you. But... I felt like, I guess, because he was challenging uh, Hillary that he decided to focus heavily on corruption, right? Because a lot of people knew that the Clintons were corrupt. And then in the 2020 campaign, I felt like like he still mentioned the billionaires and, and the oligarchs. But I noticed because he was, you know, the, the challenge was Donald Trump there. The focus went to we have to get this racist, sexist politician out of office. And it was almost like he took a play out of the Democratic Party's playbook and said, let's focus on the, the social, like the cultural issues. That's going to get me the big win. And I think maybe Bernie also made that adjustment because in his 2016 campaign, he didn't have a lot of support from the African-American community. And I think he felt okay, look, I got Cornel West on board of my campaign. Um, I have a black press secretary. I have Danny Glover as a part of my campaign, which by the way, I heard Danny Glover was, is, is not a nice person. Um, and, and then, you know, Cardi B is speaking for me and, and Nina Turner is a part of the campaign. I think he thought that that would actually bring more support from the African-American community this time around. And I think it did somewhat, but I guess what, what I'm really trying to say is based on what we went over tonight on the show, when you look at the policies, Bernie Sanders should have dominated when it comes to African-American support. The reason why he didn't is because of two reasons. One, Joe Biden's connection to Obama. So some people were like, he was Obama's VP. So I'm voting for Joe Biden. I heard several people told me that even though Bernie did all those things, right, for, with Dr. King and stuff in the past. And then the other issue was the fact that even though Bernie had like these policies like Medicare for all and canceling student loan debt and all of those things, Bernie Sanders never really addressed the fact that this would really help the black community because of this. Uh, Medicare for all is going to be important to you because of that. Like he never really drove it home. And for some groups, what he has to understand the same way he did when he spoke to the Latino community, he didn't do that with the black community. You can't just come in and say, well, in reference to reparations, well, what does that mean? You can't do that. You can't go on the breakfast club. And when Charlemagne asks you, do you support reparations? You can't look back at him and say, but what does that mean? When you know what it means, because you supported it before for, for, for your people, just not for black people. So people don't like that. So I think that was a big, that was a big part of the problem is that he just, there are some, some African-American people where you do have to outright say, 
listen, this is an, a black issue because this, this, and this. And if you don't say it to them that way, it's not going to resonate. And I think Bernie understood that when he was campaigning and he spoke to the Latino communities. He did not understand that when he was campaigning and he spoke to African-American communities. And like I told you guys earlier tonight on the show, Bernie never got behind defund the police, even at the time when it was at that time, it was popular. You know, this was after like George Floyd and everything. He never got behind it. And it was just like, you know, when you say like, no, I don't support that. It's like, you know, some people in the community, they look at you some kind of way, like they really do. So I think, I think that was a failure for him there. Uh, I think we have a caller I do want to bring in. I don't know what happened to Andrew. Andrew, I think he might have fallen off. That happens sometimes. I don't know what happened. He was a speaker, but he might have fallen off. Uh, Gator, you're on the mic. Hey, Sabrina, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, I just wanted to check something to, to present sort of my perception of Bernie Sanders from a distance and just see if 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 you think this is reasonable or not because i don't have a lot of detailed knowledge but uh, I'll, I'll run it by you and see what you think i'll start off by saying something slightly outlandish that ultimately to me i think bernie sanders has proven two things unassailably how corrupt american politics is and secondly that he is little more than a kind of a form of diversionary shill to keep people who want more um, socialization of politics and policies in America that they will never ever really be able to get. And he is the con that keeps those people um, from essentially rising up. Um, and I'll just explain that briefly. So the, in the Clinton DNC issue, clear fraud, crime and corruption were exposed through the DNC email hacks what Clinton did, what Debbie Wasserman Schultz did, and the um, you know the CNN collusion with just the questions, all of that was exposed. And then what happened to Bernie Sanders as a result of that it tells you tells me anyway what Bernie Sanders is a shill. He went along with that and never actually really raised any meaningfully serious challenges against the DNC, who just literally had chosen to screw him over. And so, by never correcting that or challenging it. He allowed the DNC to A, police itself, B, he went along with that, and C, he therefore legitimised everything that the DNC did and did to him. Now, if Bernie Sanders is the most left-leaning, legitimate person you've got in the US, and he's not really a leftist when you compare him to the spectrum of the left in general politics, and he's also a person that will never, ever be allowed by the DNC into the last stage, the final stage of the presidential race, and they've already done that and shown you that they will, then all he does is basically run around appeasing the sentiment of people, general citizens in, in, in the US who feel like they are completely unrepresented and shafted by the corporatocracy. And he, he blurting on about various forms of semi slightly socialist policies gives those people a place to point their or, or, or vent their spleen and feel like they've vaguely got a representative, irrespective of the fact that Bernie will never get in. And then when he fails to make it past the primaries, 
and into the final race, all he serves is to drag is to is to keep those those people, those voters with the Democratic Party in general terms. And then when he passes out of the system and he can't he doesn't make it into the final race, they just go either they don't vote or they go, oh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm blue, so I'll just vote for the next Democratic candidate who's in the, you know, whoever that is. And therefore, he just contains that dissenting voters cho uh, choice and stops them either becoming an independent or actually defecting and just going, screw this, screw the corrupt DNC. I'm going to actually do the opposite thing and and stick a stick a check mark in the um, in the Republicans box just to fuck my shitty party over. That's my rough working theory with Bernie Sanders. How unreasonable am I? Oh, Gator, I think you are spot on. Wow. Uh, where are you calling from? Are you... Um, from are the you, UK. UK? Okay, yeah. So you guys have multiple parties there. Um, well, no, honestly, don't kid yourself. It's a two-party system, and really it's like yours. It's a rigged uniparty setup. Abolish all political parties. Sorry, say that again. Okay, that's that's interesting to know, Gator. Um, I I think that like you hit the nail on the head in reference to Bernie Sanders. So we we did like a I did like case study about him earlier today or earlier tonight um, on my YouTube show, and I just broke everything down because I noticed like he's giving the same speeches that he gave back in 2016, 2020. He's saying the same yep. thing today doing all these rallies across the country to try to get people to come out tomorrow and vote in the midterms. Right. Mm. And nothing has changed. And, and you're right. Like he, he gets people riled up and especially some people who may be non-voters that are working class and says, we need to fight for these issues. You deserve to have these benefits here. Right. But you're right. When you just mentioned something, he knows that it's not going to pass. Like he yeah. knows right now, that Medicare for all bill is still sitting there in the house, the bill for him and, and Pramila Jayapal. And when we were urging like the squad members to force the vote for Medicare for all <clears throat> against Nancy Pelosi, they're like, you know, well, Rokana told me we didn't have the votes, Sabrina. We didn't have the votes. So, so this is the question. If Bernie Sanders knew that the votes weren't there, Right, boss. What was what was the point? So he he said like was the president they can do it by executive order, but Bernie Sanders had to know after the rigging of 2016 the DNC was never going to let him be president in 2020. Yeah. 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 And 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 that and and that to me, I mean, forgive me for if if I'm covering stuff that you had already said. I haven't I hadn't heard the uh, previous your previous show. I'll go back and look at listen to it later, but. One of the things I'll point out, I mean, I could have this wrong, but as I understand Obamacare being a kind of a, an attempt to give people more access to healthcare, ultimately it's still a form of insurance. So the, the, the services are still provided via a private insurance model. It's just a question of how that kind of cover is provided and ultimately paid for. And people still have to pay, um, what is it, a deductible, don't they, I think, um, which I think in British terms, we call that an excess and we have to, essentially, it's the first part of any claim you might have. Is that is that a fair way of describing what Obamacare is? Obamacare, it, it did extend healthcare to people in the United States, but unfortunately, like, people that I know 
that were on Obamacare, they said that they actually ended up paying more than they were paying before through yeah. their yeah. company that they had through their job. Okay. So, so, so this is, this is a big problem for me. And if Bernie Sanders is in this camp, he is again a fraud. If as a leftist, quote unquote, he, he, he defends a system of healthcare that ultimately relies on healthcare that's provided by private providers, okay, who are charging profit-based charges to the state and or using an insurance model intermediary, which again is a private model, and all of the private players in that system charge profit margins. If he defends any system like that and calls it medical care for all, universal socialized healthcare, he's lying, right? Because, you know, we, um, we don't need, a healthcare service doesn't actually need to make profit. It needs to make cost, right? And, and provide a platform for everyone's um, to, to stop worrying about their own health, right? And that, that's, that's a relatively straightforward leftist model of what the NHS was in the Britain, Britain before it was privatised. If he relies on any real aspect of the existing private structure for his own healthcare plans, he's a con. Now, does he actually want to abandon um, that, those kind of private players and actually have a truly nationalised or statified um, um, provision of service through state-owned assets and people? Or does he still, is it just a question of how you fund care that is ultimately provided by the private sector? Well, well, the Medicare... Oh, sorry. Oh, go now, I was just going to oh I was just going to say that Medicare for all we would be getting rid of the private health insurance companies but it wouldn't the only, the only difference between that oh go ahead what was that I was just going to oh, say not, um, uh, not completely because when I when I looked at the bill like basically so we have Medicare here in the US and it's but it's for people that are like 65 and over actually I think they lowered the age to like 50 something. I don't know if that's taken effect yet, but basically like you, you basically have to be a senior to qualify for Medicare in this country. Right. And Medicare, mm -hmm. I used to work in the healthcare industry I used to do the, the billing. So I want to explain to people how this works. Typically what would happen is Medicare would pay for 80% and the patient would have that 80% copay. Well, what would happen is for most people, by the time you were a senior, you would have that 20% covered by the health insurance that you had with your company that you may have retired with. Now, this is different for my generation, right? Because we job hop and we job hop because we need higher pay. <laughs> We're not getting promoted. So we have to go to different companies too in order to get like a real promotion, right? So, but, but back in like our parents' day, what would typically happen is a lot of times they would stay with like the same company for like years and they may get like a pension and they have this health insurance. And what would happen is when they would retire with the company, the health insurance, they would still get some of that benefit. So once they qualified for Medicare, Medicare would cover that 80% and that health insurance that they had from like, say, Bell South, because that was a thing back in the day where a lot of people worked for Bell South. Bell South would come in and pick up that 20%. So they wouldn't really have to pay anything. So for people living off of their retirement, they'd still be all set. 
what he wanted to do was expand that to everybody over a period of time. And I think it's important to mention that too. This wasn't going to be available to everybody immediately, but over a period of time, right? By, um, you just mute for a second, Roger. Thanks. Um, by age groups. And so, however, from what I understand, Gator, in, in the UK, you guys have a nationalized healthcare system, which is actually better than Medicare for all. Uh, and I, I'm curious, how did you pass that in the UK? Well, you'll just have to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the exact details. I'm, I'm, it was a little bit before my time, but post Second World War, the, the, the UK social welfare model was kind of partially born out of the sacrifices made by the populace and this notion that, that that essentially it was time to get a sort of a meritocratic payback in some ways and so so the nhs was created and funded out of taxpayer money and you know through the normal budgetary taxation process and it's generally been like that where the hospitals and all of the employees were state owned right now admittedly that means that essentially what you could argue is the nhs is the biggest monopolistic employer in the UK, and that does carry problems with it. But ultimately, every single person was entitled to the same basic level of healthcare through that system, and there was nothing to pay, right? You were paying it through taxes. And um, and that's generally the way it has, that's still the way it looks, but it is not the reality at all. Underneath it, what's happened is, the, the, the British government continues to collect taxes saying we pay for the, for the healthcare through taxes, but all of the healthcare provision is actually um, a mixture, it's partially privatized and, and its costs have radically increased as a result of this. So I'll just give you a very quick example. Um, Tony Blair, um, it, when he came into power, he said, I'm gonna spend money on the um, NHS and I'm gonna fix two things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make waiting times go down and I'm gonna make the standard of care become more available and go up. And what he did was he commissioned 56 billion pounds worth of hospitals, but they did not appear on the British books and they were not paid for, obviously, out of um, tax um, uh, money printed by the government. He, he actually went secretly and created incredibly complex private contracts, which got the hospitals built by private companies who owned them for 25 years and leased them back to the company, to the government. And also those contracts gave those hospital owners the ability to provide private services inside those hospitals for things like cleaning, portering, and lots of non-medical stuff, okay? And possibly even equipment provision and things like this. And it was only really the medical staff, so the doctors, nurses, and maybe some of the maybe aspects of the administration who were who were employees of the state and the NHS. Now, what effect this had was that over the 25 year period of that 56 billion pounds worth of hospitals, the true cost was over 220 billion pounds to the British people, but it was all kept secret. And that was just one set of these deals. And since that set was done, more have been done. It's done under this thing called the PFI initiative, private finance initiative. So what you're really looking at there is the slow secret privatization of healthcare in the UK. And that's what's still continuing in various aggressive forms now. So, so this is why I would say that with Bernie Sanders, you should never accept from Bernie that he is anything like a socialist or a true leftist based purely 
on his stance on healthcare because if he wishes to continue to adopt a payment method that you've just described or anything even remotely like the British, what we're really doing is we're calling him a leftist when he actually is defending the um, private profiteering approach to healthcare provision, which when you look at the incentives of that system, there are no incentives to fix or make anyone healthier because if a private company who requires their profits to come from sick people actually fixes or prevents illness in people, their profits are guaranteed to go down. You actually want to have a system that is as cheap as possible, right? So it doesn't have profit margin in it. And because it's not pursuing active profit margin to serve shareholders and all that bullshit, you know, all that corporatist agenda, what you what you can tolerate is a cheaper health platform that is designed to make people visit the hospital as little as possible by keeping them as healthy as possible through prevention, total total care and high quality point of acute and chronic care, which uses the minimum amount of drugs, the, the, the most effective um, treatment pathway, not the, not the long drawn out management pathway. And there's one other thing I'll say on, on healthcare that kind of partially proves that this is possible in your system. There's a guy called Max Kaiser who uh, his him and his wife Stacy Herbert used to do the Kaiser Report show on RT. Very good. Um, his his whole economic outlook is quite libertarian, but he brought up huge amounts of stuff. Now, one episode in there was about um, an in, where he literally showcased in America an independent doctor, a GP, who said when doctor when people come to me, um, they I charge them minimal cost referring uh, um, minimal cost charges. And when I get their bloods done, I send them to this local independent lab over here. And instead of a, a blood test costing $400 as it would in the insurance system, I can get that done for $15, $60, $27. And ultimately, uh, the bill difference I can make to somebody is huge. It's just like, it's just the same principle as knowing a decent car mechanic versus getting your car fixed after a crash on an insurance job where everyone inside that process knows that they can inflate their prices because they're charging an insurance company and and, and that's all it was and it was just it just showed that this kind of it was possible to give people fairly priced healthcare okay inside the american system and if bernie sanders won't go near any of that he is nothing but a corporate shill in wool in wolves in sheep's clothing frankly who is also enabling a corrupt DNC and he knows he's doing it. And this is, this is my perception of what the trap of Bernie Sanders actually is. Well said Gator. I, I think this is the point too, that I've been trying to deliver to people. And I think more people, those of us that were like Bernie supporters, more of us woke up, you know, after uh, this year, I think when Bernie started saying that Joe Biden was doing a great job, right. Or, after Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign or after Bernie Sanders told people to vote for Joe Biden before he even suspended his campaign, we're like, I can't believe he did this to us again uh, two times in a row. And the point that I tried to drive home to people is that Bernie Sanders, you know, I don't like it when he says that he's a socialist. He's not a socialist. Socialists are for workers owning the means of production. Bernie Sanders has never said that he supports that. He's never even talked about that from what I remember and neither have members of the squad. So it, it's frustrating to me when I do hear 
Fox News and CNN call them socialists or these far, far leftist people. They're really not that far, far left. They're not socialists. When you look at the definition of socialism, they're not Marxists. If you look at the definition of what it means to be a Marxist, and yet mainstream media describes them in such a way. And so what's disappointing about that is that it gives people, especially a lot of younger people that are leftists or progressives, it gives them this idea that they actually have someone who's fighting for socialist issues and they're not. And it also gives people that are conservative this idea that we actually do have people who are real like socialists in these positions and they're not. So it just, it's really disappointing to me. And I, I think you're spot on. And what we discussed earlier is that we did like a case study of Bernie Sanders about how Bernie Sanders basically has used the same playbook for, I don't know, since 2015. He's using the same rhetoric. He's still saying the same rhetoric today at the rallies to get people to come out for Dems in the midterms tomorrow. It's the same thing. It's the same playbook. You know, uh, hearing him say uh, our democracy is on the line, they're all saying that this year. But when I went back and looked at videos for, for tonight's show, he was saying this back in 2015 and he was saying it in, in 2020 as well. Like the same thing. Uh, when I see, like I go back and I revisit that debate that he had with Joe Biden, the one-on-one -on -one final debate, there were several moments uh, specifically about Medicare for all where Bernie Sanders did not call out Joe Biden's corruption from taking money like from big pharma. And he had a perfect opportunity to do so. So it almost felt like, it almost felt like he had already had his marching orders and that, look, it might be best to let Joe Biden win. And so for Bernie Sanders to to do these rallies across the country and to really excite a lot of young people to come out and tell them to start a political revolution and then to abandon the movement two times in a row, he is not credible to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've just more so seen Bernie Sanders as like someone who excites the, the younger people and working class people only to push them back into the Democratic Party to vote for the same corporate candidate that he told them they should be against and the same corruption that he told them to fight against. He just pushes them back into the Democratic Party. Yeah, correct. Correct. And, and the thing is, the way to look at Bernie Sanders, I think, is this. His job and his agreement was never to have won anything. It was simply to maintain his seat, be allowed to go on stage, be allowed to appear to be the most left guy that you can find in mainstream American politics who appears on TV um, and, and, and enjoy whatever kudos comes from that, probably gets an easier time with his fundraising and probably knows that he is pretty much in a safe seat so he can just continue to his, his bullshit career in politics. Because let's face it, if he is a congressman who just turns up, votes, occasionally backs some legislation that, that he didn't even write and then minces around um, and half, more than half his time would normally be spent begging for money, right? And then the other half of the time, it's either it's doing what he wants or occasionally having to see pesky constituents, right? I bet that somebody said to, to Bernie, okay, Bernie, as long as you play this role for the DNC, you'll only have to fundraise 90 days of the year and you can do whatever the hell you want after that, really. You'll, you'll just have an easier job in, in your seat because you're fulfilling this role for us, right? And that's it. And 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 I and, and and for a career politician to take deals like that, you know, this is your job, you're a shill, 
you're a tool, you're to follow instructions at certain times and act like something's going on when it's not. That to me is what Bernie Bernie Sanders is. Any any left any mainstream left person that presents themselves to the American populace, I think there's. I agree with your completely correct observation about what socialism is meant to be and that, that that simply doesn't exist in, in in the american system it doesn't even exist it doesn't exist in the british system either um it doesn't really exist in any western system right um but the, the standard the basic standard you could judge anyone claiming to be a semi-socialist mainstream person is this simply demand of them that they create a truly state-owned um element of healthcare which eradicates all of these profit issues that I mentioned and these private interests and provides that as a competing health platform to the existing private infrastructures, right? Because what that would do is it would show up that you can have a nationalised hospital in this state and it can be run in this way and it can cost this certain amount of tax and it can deliver this level of standard and then you can measure it directly against everybody's pre-existing private system. And over time, you'll go, you know what? We get a good enough healthcare, provably good enough healthcare for 40% less out of that nationalised uh, hospital in this state. And therefore, that model works. Now, that is a simple thing to stand for. It's not very hard to do, right, if you really wanted to do it. And the second thing is, take that rough system and apply it to education, right? Now... All I'm saying is that without being too radical, people should demand that your country and mine make healthcare and education the two basic platforms that truly are purely tax funded and purely owned or, or a, 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 an accessible form of it is purely owned by the state. You can have private, private alternatives as well. And that way, right, what you've done is you've given the means of human production to people because medical and education are the two basic pillars of human existence and if you can make those as good as you can through the tax system then you layer on a lot of human improvement after that in in terms of being able to compete in the job market and doing all of the private things that happen in a pseudo free market society and that's what britain kind of used to do until it privatized both its health service and its and its education system and and now we're just like america but we just have a different a, a different color of veneer but we're really really operating on exactly the same neoliberal principles so i i, I i'm glad that you brought this up because i've, I've always felt that, that bernie is a total con and that he is you are right to have analyzed his stuff going back and you should hold him up to anyone who is ignorant do whatever it is you can to show them this model of con. I completely commend you for doing it because without that model of proof, everyone is ignorant. And there's one that I'll finish on this. There's this idea that the, that you pointed out, which is they're saying, oh, my God, democracy is under threat. Right. Well, we, mm -hmm. we all know what that is. That's just a slogan. And the, and the sad reality that they're not dealing with is the idea that if in a democracy, you as party A lose to party B, and then in your analysis, your final wash up of why, you determine that it's because basically your own populace are either too ignorant, too dumb, or misincentivized, and therefore wrongly, in inverted commas, voted for party B, and that means that democracy is dead.
that's a complete con self-contradiction. What it actually proves is that democracy exists because the, all of those idiots, misinformed people and deplorables all actually were able to exercise choice and put party B in, which is actually the embodiment of democracy. If the, the real problem is whether your entire democratic system has made these people dumb, misincentivized, ignorant and deplorable in the first place. And if that is the truth, if that's really what's happening, then you've got much bigger problems to fry, to, to much bigger fish to fry. Well said, Gator. I want to bring in uh, Esme. Uh, you are a speaker. You just got to unmute. I want to get your opinion about all of this as well. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. All right. Awesome. Um, so that was a really cool discussion. Um, Gator brought up a lot of great points. Uh, I didn't want to distract too much from what was going on because y'all got really into healthcare. But my question was more, I mean, it's about Bernie Sanders. Um, and it's something that I can't really reconcile yet. Like, I can't, I'm sure it's like a corrupt reason, but I'm just like curious as to how, how deep this goes. Just because like, if he, because we've established that he's a fraud and a con man and sheep herder for the Democratic Party and everything. But what I don't understand is if he's proven time and again that he will side with the democratic party like why wouldn't they just let him win you know why wouldn't they just let him go and you know i don't know i just don't understand because clearly he's not going to enact anything that he says he's going to or doesn't seem motivated so I'm not really sure why they still consider him so much of a threat, but then also rely on him to bring people into the party. Like, it just seems like they're expending a lot of extra energy in that regard. So I'm, like, curious as to why they won't just let him run and potentially win and, like, get out of the way. Because there's some things that he can do by executive order that their donors won't be happy with. And the big one is Medicare for all. So when I, when I interviewed Rokana, he actually, yeah, when I interviewed Rokana, he actually brought this to my attention and he told me, we are never going to get Medicare for all in this country unless we have a president that supports it. And then that brought me back to the fact that that's something that could have been done by executive order because because of the pandemic that could have been implemented by the president of the United States. And this has already been done in Libby, Montana. I don't know if everyone is aware of this story, but Libby, Montana, there was a, I think it was an air quality issue that happened there. So this was not the pandemic that was the reason for it. But from what I understand, it was an air quality issue People got sick, and so they were actually, yeah, they were actually able to implement Medicaid, like some type of universal single payer uh, healthcare for everyone there in Libby, Montana, because of the environmental conditions. And so, the argument that the Medicare for All activists have made uh, towards Joe Biden is that because we were in a pandemic, he could have done the same thing for everybody in the United States to implement Medicare for all, but Joe Biden is against Medicare for all and said if that bill came across his desk, he would veto it. So 
that's something for people to know. And from what I understand, I believe Libby Montana happened under Barack Obama, if, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Roger may know a little bit more about that as well. But I do know that journalists have reached out, like some of us have reached out to people in Libby Montana to discuss this issue and they don't want to talk about it. And, and that's, it's, it's kind of like concerning because like we want to know like, the more the details, but they don't want to be interviewed. They just kind of want to chill. I guess they don't want like buzz around this or whatever, but it can happen. Now, people are trying to do this through the states. We saw this did not work in California through CalCare where they had the votes and they decided not to bring it to the floor for a vote because big money came in from the pharma companies and blocked it, right? It's on the ballot tomorrow here in Massachusetts for uh, Medicare for all. I don't know if it's gonna pass or not. Like, we'll see, you know, hopefully it does. But the same thing can happen here where it passes with the voters as a ballot initiative, but then the state legislators decide not to let it go through anyway. Like the same thing could happen, but the problem is like these pharma companies are, are just incredibly like powerful and a lot of the politicians take donations from Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna and Cigna. It's just a reality. But that's the problem, um, Esme, is the fact that there are certain things that can be done by executive order that they don't want someone like Bernie Sanders to get into the presidency because Bernie probably would try to do Medicare for all by executive order. They don't want someone to come in and cancel all student loan debt. That's another thing that can be done by executive order. So... That's why they don't want Bernie Sanders to win. But Roger, I think you were going to say something. I didn't mean to. No, no, that that was yeah. the uh, that creepy voice on the navigation um, that that scared you. Uh, but what I was going to say also was that uh, it was the in asbestos joint in Libby, Montana. That's what it was. Asbestos. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And in um, and the the thing is. Um, I know Massachusetts is probably the most complex ballot initiative state. Hazard oh, reported shoot. ahead. Sorry about that. Seek inner peace, but safety first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if I, I know this, I I was on a um, I was on a Zoom with. Andre Stackhouse, that was his name, right? He, I know Andre he was on Stackhouse, the the basketball, the basketball player. player? Oh, what's the, there was the guy who was with Hull Washington, uh, Chris. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> there was somebody. I think he was on your show. Yeah, he um, was. Right, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. So I was on a Zoom with him, and we was, you know, it was only you know three of us or whatever, but it was um. It was Medicare for all everywhere or Medicare for everywhere at all or something like that, right? And we were just talking about different strategies and so on and so forth, right? And um, he had, well, I forgot what he, what I was going to say, but the other thing I was going to say is this. If, um, depending on what happens tomorrow, now I have no doubt well, I do have. Eh, I think. I think my governor is going to get her ass kicked, and we'll have 
Congressman Lee Zeldin is the new governor, okay? So what I think is going to end up happening is um, all of a sudden, magically, the state legislature is going to pass the New York Health Act just so that Lee Zeldin uh, hello? Yeah, that's just oh, me. Did I lose you? Wait, so if, if the state passes the New York Health Act, Roger, well, first, can you explain the, to people what what that means and which states that would include? Because they may not be aware. All right, so um, explain what the New York Health Act is or who, who it would include. Uh, both. Okay, so the New York Health Act would pretty much be like a state version of Medicare for All. So it would cover... Um, mental, dental, vision, hearing, prescription, drug medication, nursing homes, hospital stay, uh, ambulance, everything. All of that, we'd be kicking the private health insurance company out of New York State. It would cover everyone from the homeless to Michael Bloomberg, but it would also cover people who work here but don't live here. So New York State touches five states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Massachusetts, either Vermont or New Hampshire, I forgot which one, and Connecticut and uh, yeah so you could like do a little drive over the borderline maybe work at a 7-eleven or something like that and you know you, you and yeah. you and your and your would inherit that uh, health care and this is huge, um, you guys because like a lot of people work in New York but they don't live there right. like but I hate to say this but like <clears throat> we used to make jokes back in the day that like New Jersey <laughs> We said like part of New Jersey worked in New York City and part of New Jersey worked in Philly. And mm -hmm. we used to say like the Connecticut was just the state that you go through after leaving New York and to get to Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor Connecticut. But Massachusetts a lot of jobs there. Uh huh. Massachusetts Medicare for All has that same thing where you don't have you just have to work twenty hours in Massachusetts to um to qualify. Um, but yeah, so here's the thing. I will not be surprised if the, if the state legislature stays uh, Democrat, both chambers, and Lee Zeldin becomes governor, then all of a sudden, they're going to magically pass the New York Health Act, right? So I said, the strategy we should use is wait for them to pass it. And then once the government, once Lee Zeldin vetoes it and they say, oh, sorry, we tried to do it, but we couldn't do anything because we need a Democrat governor. I mean, vote for a Democrat governor next time because we really want to give you health care. So my my um, strategy for that would be like, OK, you want to give us health care so badly. So do this then. Pass that bill and the New York Public Banking Act not as a bill but pass it as an amendment okay so the way so where the legislature passes it two times oh shoot I'm oh, sorry <laughs> yeah it is the navigation and um so then what happens is right is that um, I'm talking softly because my customer is sleeping um so then what happens is I say pass those bills as an amendment. So the way it happens in New York State is 
the legislature passes it twice with one even year election in between. And then they put it before us as a legislative referred constitutional amendment to, for ratification. Then give us the ability to pass it and put it into the constitution. Since you want to give it to us so badly and you prove that you're willing to pass it, you know what I mean? So that's, that's how I'm going to uh, try to approach it. Also, just going back to the Bernie thing, um, when you was talking about the, uh, the, what do you call it? The, um, the reparations thing, right? Don't forget, remember, Teslin Figaro was in the Bernie campaign. Okay. Yep. I forgot whether it, it was 2016 or 2020. So she did say that she got Trump bounced out of there because there was a lot of racism in that campaign. Um, you know, not just from, from whites, but from Hispanics also. Not everyone that's Hispanic, of course, but, you know, that's and and they was pretty much pushing uh, uh, black issues aside. Um, Wait, she said what or, now? Yeah. Oh, shit. You have to um, you got to look at look up. Google, not Google, uh, you do a YouTube search on when she explained this on the Breakfast, Breakfast Club a few years ago. Wait, so Cheslin said, she said there was racism in the campaign? I thought, correct. see, I thought that was just like a smear from mainstream media. Well, um, she said it. And she, and the way she was treated by, I think it was Nadia Velasquez, I forgot something like that, but I saw the interview on the Breakfast Club a, a few years ago. So, everybody, you might want to um, do a YouTube search, you know, Teslin Figaro on the Breakfast Club. Okay. I don't know whether that was 2017, 2018, 2019, something like that. Um, but also, what, what Gator was saying about um, the best way to, um, what's that word, keep people like you got to fix people on the front end i, th I think it, i think i'm using i hope i'm not getting front end and back end confused but if you keep if you have a system that keeps people healthy then that's then that is less needed to go to um uh you know that's less problems later on so i actually wrote let you know well Energy. <laughs> yeah, Far Rocko, Far Rocko, we got a lot of speeding cameras. Um, so uh, I actually wrote some legislation that would actually like that I'm waiting for the New York Health Act to pass that you can use this to amend it. And what it would do is it would use the New York Health Act to encourage uh, like a state fitness program where let's say uh, Sabi's yoga practice or Sabi's Tai Chi or Taekwondo or martial arts or kickboxing or whatever it is that, that you want to teach dancing or whatever, the, whatever it is, right? So let's say, for instance, um, I go and I want you to teach me some, some, some exercise stuff or, or you, you're a personal trainer, right? So you give, um, I get a government card right from the state the new like kind of like how you get like medicaid and medicare cards so then i go to you mm -hmm. savvy right and i'm like hey i want you to teach me judo kickboxing dancing whatever the case is 
I need you as a personal trainer, blah, blah, blah. So then you take that card and there's a code on it that you go to a government website that you get paid from. And then you go, okay, uh, let me teach you some things. Okay. So what that'll do is that will, you know, you, you, it, the state is encouraging people to stay healthy. Okay. So what ends up happening is they're, they are um, curbing future healthcare costs like diabetes, hypertension, um, cardiovascular disease, while at the same time, they're promoting the economy. You see what I'm saying? Because now, uh, uh, Savvy's exercise place or whatever it is, kickboxing or whatever, is now going to get all these new customers that's breaking down your door to try to get taught. And you're like, damn, I got to expand. I got to hire more teachers. And then, you know, like, boom, you start opening up different spots all across the state or whatever the case is. And you got your employees, you, you know, you got to hire some people or make it a worker co-op. And, you know, you just start hiring people and whatnot to, to teach classes all over your state. You see what I'm saying? So it brings down future health care costs by keeping people healthy and it grows the economy. That's so. interesting. That's interesting. And I think this is another thing too. Like I keep telling people to focus more on what we can do on a level electorally. Mm -hmm. And I do mm -hmm. realize, and I got to say this, like I do realize guys, not everyone lives in a ballot initiative state. Totally mm -hmm. get that. But mm -hmm. there's still things that you can do in your state. Mm -hmm. Electorally, because isn't it uh, Kansas was not one of the BI states. Correct. But that was they, that was a legislative referred constitutional amendment. So that was an initiative put before them by the legislature. Exactly. Exactly. So that that's the thing. And I think I'll have to do like another I want to do another panel on um, ballot initiatives. And I should also mm -hmm. say amendments as well, like constitutional amendments. Again, mm -hmm. like maybe this time also for the people that do not live in BI states, because, you know, I talked to Steve Brumbine recently. We were talking about inflation. He's like, I'm yeah. in Pennsylvania. We have no BIs. Uh, same thing with status, um, status, Savage Joy. She's also yeah. in Pennsylvania. They don't they don't have BI. Like, right. So what do we do about these in between states like these states that just mm -hmm. don't there's no there's no right choice voting. There's no ballot initiatives. Right. We need to teach mm -hmm. people how they can try to pass like these constitutional amendments. Mm -hmm. So my plan is to grow uh, worker cooperatives. I mean, it's a long term plan. You know, it's a lot longer than than what the current BIs can do right now. But my plan is to let me see if I can remember it off the top of my head. Build, proliferate, uh, form uh form Voltron, box out, and replace. So you build cooperatives, proliferate Voltron. them. Yes, exactly. You, I'll you, Let me tell the people, because not everybody <laughs> might be aware, because the age group sometime, Roger. Oh, okay. um, no, Voltron keeps coming back, like the Transformers. I know, but they might not know what Voltron means. Like, So for those who are not aware, Voltron was a cartoon, kind of like uh, Transformers. But like Voltron was like this giant transformer per se and different people form different parts of the body. So like one person would be like, I'll form the arm. I'll form the head. I'll form the leg. 
Voltron! Okay. I had to explain it to them what it was. Yeah, the part where I form the head always cracked me up. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... So, so what I was saying, right? Oh, right here, sir? Yes. All right. All right, no doubt, man. Have a good one. I make sure I bring in Brady, too. I don't want to leave him hanging. Mm-hmm. So what it, what it was, right, was, um, oh, yeah, yeah. So you build worker cooperatives, then you proliferate them throughout your state, and then you um, form chains. You know, you, 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 you link up with other cooperatives, okay, to, you know, form that uh, Voltron, you know, to, so that you can apply, so that you can form your own supply chains that run parallel to corporate supply chains. And then you box out corporate, and then you take over the government. Government, because the thing is, it's not that the problem is not big money; it's where the big money is sourced, and where the big money is sourced is that it's sourced from um, corporate, which does not represent the public interest. So maybe the maybe the the issue is maybe we're looking at maybe we have to look at the three-dimensional square in a different way. Instead of trying to curb or get out big money, maybe we should focus on, okay, where the big money is sourced from, corporate. Okay, so let's build up cooperatives, which is more democratic and more and represents the people more, and replace big corporate money with big cooperative money, which represents the broader public interest. Just something to think about. I want to make sure uh, we bring in Brady and Brady, you'll be the last caller. Just have to unmute. Uh Uh-oh. I hope Brady didn't get stuck in the glitch too. Maybe I can make uh, Brady a uh, speaker. Either that or maybe Brady's fell asleep. (laughs) I just realized the time. I don't know. Maybe no Brady. Speaking of worker co-ops, you guys, I'm actually, let me check the date. I just want to make sure I get the date right. I actually have, is that next week? Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey, Brady. Next week is technically the third week of November. Oh, Oh, November has five. Okay. So next week, I'm not sure which day, but I actually am having on... Marco is coming on. He was actually in a recent call-in episode. Um, he was talking to us about worker co-ops, and he started his own worker co-op. So he's going to come on and explain to people how to start it. Um, what's up, Brady? What's your take on? I actually was involved in getting a car, uh, co-op started here in San Antonio, and I was going to introduce you to the idea of private membership associations. This is this cool concept I came across the other day. Let me make sure I'm getting that right. Uh, Yeah, it's called a private membership association. So there's a really cool uh, little podcast all about it. I'm dropping that resource in the chat right now. And I was just going to mention that when I was voting the other day, I noticed there was a lot of write-in candidate options. And I felt like that option is totally underutilized. I would have loved to have uh, had the ability to write someone in. No, 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 Brady. Um, Brady. No, no. We, we talked about that tonight, actually. Um, 
just ends up, yeah, like on, on the YouTube show, um, we actually had Lucy, Lucine Kinnett, who's running in, um, is in AOC's district. She told everybody to put her down as a writing candidate. And that is the strategy that she she's going with. And you're right. More people need to do that instead of trying to fight to get on the ballot. It's ridiculous. Like, but yeah, just letting you know that we do have, we did have someone come on tonight to talk about. Oh, I slept on it. I'm hosting a karaoke show tonight. So I just saw the show. I'm actually on the clock right now. Just stepping outside to talk to (laughs) y'all. So I'll check it out though. I will absolutely go back and listen to that. And I appreciate that. And I felt like I had something else for you, but I think that's it. Yeah, I highly recommend the higher side chats. They have a great little conversation about private membership associations, how they were using those to get around uh, dry. Uh oh. Really been some rules with a private membership association. Awesome. I'll check out that link, Brady. Um, oh, yep. I see it now. Okay. Right Thanks on. So much. Y'all have a good night. I'm going back to work. (laughs) Thanks, you too. Roger, did you have anything? Scotty, somebody send me the Tariq Nasheed thing or the the truth with the whatever it was called. Damn, shut up. (laughs) That little background tidbits are awesome. This is crap. It's making the show. (laughs) I need. If you got it, I need to see that clip again. That thing cracked me up so much. I remember that the 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 the, the what was it called? The awful truth. Yes, that was the HBO joy. If if Scotty said he got it, send it to you, Sab Sab. Send it to me. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I it's in the chat somewhere. But um, Scotty, also if you could just DM it to me too, um, because I'm lost in the chat now. Because I think it was a minute back. But um, but yeah, thanks so much, uh, Scotty. And I am signing off, you guys. I, it looks like I might be. I think I might be on Rising tomorrow. I'll, I'll double check, but um, but I gotta get to bed. <laughs> so, right. thanks for hanging out, guys. Have a good night. Go right. vote tomorrow, even if you just.